for Fan for Racing Radio. <clears throat> Excuse me. Tonight we are talking about our Phoenix NASCAR Weekend Preview and Hot Topics Sound Off. And uh, we've got a lot to talk about here tonight. So joining me as co-host is Jay Hughesman. Welcome to the show, Jay. Well, a lot to talk about and people that like to talk. I know we got another one coming on later for Hot Topics, so we'll fill the time, and there's lots to fill it with. Absolutely. We're going to start with some short track news, and then afterward we're going to preview the Arca Menard Series and the Arca West Series, both racing at Phoenix Raceway this weekend. One race, two series, and for the Arca West, this is their season opener for the Arkham and Art Series, their second race of the season. Uh, we'll also give just a real brief update on the Arca East. They're going to start their season uh, this month as well, so we'll give you all the details there. Then we're going to listen to a clip of our media of the media interview, the NASCAR media interview with Michael McDowell. He's the driver of the number 34 Front Road Motorsports Ford. And uh, we'll hear what he has to say. He's a Phoenix native, so uh, it'll be fun to hear what he has to say about the race out there. Afterward, uh, we'll give some updates on the NASCAR Truck Series. They are not racing this weekend, but they will be soon, so we'll give you all the details there. And uh, afterwards, we'll, we'll get into our Xfinity and our Cup Series preview at Phoenix Raceway. Then, of course, you want to stay tuned for our Hot Topic Sound Off. As, as uh, Jay said, we do have Mike Orzel joining us at the top of that hour uh, to talk about all the hot topics of uh, this past few days. So with that, Jay, let's go ahead and get into our short track news here. Um, the big news, <clears throat> I think, is this ASA Stars National Tour. It's coming up this Saturday at from Five Flags Speedway. So uh, you can get more details about that at uh, Racing America, Flow Racing. Everybody's talking about it. So I think we have an, an entry list now. <clears throat> well, we'll take a peek at that. But uh, there certainly is several stories that tie into. You mentioned it. Uh, the season opener for them. Uh, here, even here in the southeast, uh, got to wait for a little bit warmer and better weather. You know, we uh, opened up a couple of dirt tracks this past weekend. The Star Series here kicking off at Five Flags Speedway. You mentioned the entry list. Derek Thorne going to be returning as the Snowball Champion as well. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> Derek Thorne uh, has been racing that Snowball Derby for several years. He became the champion this past uh season and now he's going to be heading to, back to Pensacola, Florida, Five Flags Speedway for the ASA National uh, Tour Sunshine State 200. So uh, I'm really happy to hear that. Uh, there's a lot of guys uh, that are um, uh, really involved in this uh, race this year and it is uh, going to be huge. Well, and another one, I'm, I'm looking for the driver entry list. There it is as I click on that. Another one will be from the booth. Uh, if dirt track or race fans aren't familiar with some dirt tracking, California, they did the four abreast. That comes from announcer of the Sprint Cars World Outlaw Series, 
You wanted the best. You got them for a breast. The cars and stars are coming at you. Coming over from the world of outlaws, sprint cars, to announce they're at Five Flags for Asphalt. Oh, pretty cool, pretty cool. Uh, okay, there are, let me just kind of go down this list. We've kind of been talking about this, so you've heard some of this before. Derek Thorne added, Derek Krauss is going to be uh, in this race, Carson Hosevar, uh, there's also, so I'm trying to hit the ones that I think people will know, Bubba Pollard, Grant Infinger, uh, Jeremy Doss, another big driver from the West Coast, Preston Peltier as well, Stephen Nass, uh, Jake Finch, uh, let's see, Ty Majeski and Blaine Rocha, Ryan Moore. There's just so many names on this list. And that's what I like. Just like what we talk about in the truck series, you see that mixture of veterans, drivers that have been doing it a while, some young drivers coming up, and some top stars returning. Uh, Grant Enfinger uh, mentioned William Byron. I don't think he is in this one, but he was in the opener for the series back at New Smyrna. Yes, indeed. So this is one that you don't want to miss. You can watch it over at Racing America uh, this weekend, and so uh, definitely uh, make sure you check that out. Um, also, there's been lots of other new, uh, news that has come out, uh, but also another series that's going to be kicking off their season this weekend is the Cars Tour. Their season this weekend at the Southern National, uh, and so uh, you can check that out as well. Uh, it's Location is Lacama, North Carolina, the Southern National Motorsports Park. The length is 400 miles, so race 125 laps. Uh, and uh, again, some South Boston winners that are going to be there include Todd Yulan, Deke McCaskill, Josh Berry, Brandon Pierce, Taylor Gray. Um, in the super late models, Cole Trim, Christopher Bell, Quinn Huff. Raphael Lassard, Bubba Pollard, Pollard, and Mike Matt Craig. So uh, again, there's just so many. 32 cars on the uh, late model uh, list. Uh, 22 cars on the pro late model list, uh, and Carson Quapel is one of those drivers. So there is just so much uh, to look forward to with this race as well. And there again, you heard some names you've heard at NASCAR's top levels that have made it and ones that are up and coming. Carson Kvapel being in it with uh, Junior Motorsports at the Pro Late Model Series. Um, that's where Josh Berry comes from, and we know where he's at now. So these are ones that we will see more of in the future. And then a couple that we've seen at the top level coming back down to race with them um, is great. I love to see that. I know the fans doing these places are going to be packed out. Yes, they are. Uh, another big news that came out, we've got two F1 drivers that are going to be racing in NASCAR. Jensen Button uh, announced today that he's going to pilot the number 15 for Rick Ware Racing at Coda, Chicago, and Indy. So that was really good news. Earlier, they had announced that uh, Kipi, Kimi Kimmy Raikkonen is going to return to Trackhouse Entry for their Project 91 entry, also at CODA. So uh, two big names coming to NASCAR. Coming from Formula One, and I know Mike put this up uh, on one of them, 
waiting to see um, where he was going to jump in. I want to tie a third one in. I know we got it on our hot topics from the super late or super late model side on dirt. Jonathan Davenport going to be at Bristol with College Racing. That's another big crossover. I think is huge. That is very huge. He's going to race on Bristol dirt uh, with Colleg Racing, and Jonathan Davenport uh, is a big dirt racer, and uh, I, I think it's exciting to see all this crossover that's taking place within NASCAR with other disciplines, uh, drivers from other disciplines of racing coming into NASCAR and uh, racing with us. So uh, I, I think it's fantastic. And I, th- I think it is a huge storyline there of, in the past, we've seen it. You were either dirt or asphalt or, you know, NASCAR, mm-hmm. Formula One, or IndyCar. We see all that crossover, and the fans are starting to see, hey, we can be both, you know, be a part of all of it. It's about racing. And I think these entities that are doing this, um, it benefits everybody. So I like to see it no matter, like I said, I'm not a big Formula One fan, but I do like to see that crossover. Yes, I do too. And and if you, there is a nice article over at um, Racing America by Jay Pinnell, and uh, he talks about how exciting this is for him. Uh, I'm talking about Jonathan Davenport to be uh, making this move. So, and you know what? It's going to be good for colleague uh, and their drivers. They're going to learn more. They're going to learn from Jonathan Davenport. But think about what Jonathan Davenport is also going to learn uh, when he comes over to NASCAR. Uh, and it's it's always wonderful to see these kind of things happen. So let's head over to uh, Flow Racing and see what's uh, news there. Well, and they're going to cover a lot of that you mentioned because, again, they are expanding to where they are covering both the ARCA East series uh, as well as some other stuff, as well as dirt track. And again, all different brands from midgets all the way up to super late models and sprint cars. Yes, indeed. Uh, talk about crossovers. There's a veteran uh, sprint car racer, Rain Johnson, is going to become a USAC Silver Crown rookie this year. So uh, that's going to be interesting. So we're, we're not the only ones that are crossing over. And we've seen that in the past. Uh, you talk about stars like Rico Abreu, Christopher Bell, Kyle Larson, these ones that are doing that, and we know the talent they have and what they bring to these sports. Uh, you know, and I've, had, I've witnessed it several times both ways. When you go to a track where these drivers appear, I mean, it just benefits everybody, the fans, the track, the other drivers, as you mentioned, um, that there is so much benefit to it, and I'm happy to see it happening more and more often now. Yeah, I am too. Uh I'm I'm very happy to see this continuing to happen. And uh uh I think we're gonna see more and more of it because I think the fans I, I don't think we're the only ones that love this idea. I think a lot of the fans love this idea. I mean I, I can think okay. back one time growing up in a, on a road course in Minnesota. I think Ken Schrader ran four or five different races over three nights in four different states there, North Dakota, Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Iowa. You know, I mean, that's the kind of old-school racers mentality that I like to see. I know they can't do it as much anymore, but just to see that Kenny Wallace being another one. Yeah, exactly. We talked about Carson Quapple being uh, in that Cars Tour uh, race. Also, he's the defending title 
holder, by the way. But Cal Gale is back as well, uh, and I'm sure you're familiar with him, Jay. Most certainly, and he's one I, I kind of wish I'd seen, and, and I know sometimes they, I don't want to say stall out, but are content racing at a particular series. We've seen him dabble in the Xfinity series some, never made it big. Uh, Bubba Pollard, going back to him, he's another one. Um, may never see it one of the NASCAR's top three levels, but that doesn't mean they aren't a talented, talented driver. Uh, they're happy with where they're at, and it works for them. So uh, I like to see Kale Gale back racing. Absolutely. Also, Matt Weaver has a great article over at uh, Short Track Scene. Uh, he has an open letter to the ASA Super Late Model Drivers, and that is capitalize on this moment. Uh, and he gives uh, a commentary about the success of the National Championship Tour rides on everyone. So uh, it's a great read. You want to check that out uh, by Matt Weaver over at Short Track Scene. So uh, some good information there. I think he's got a very good point there. We've talked about this with Flow Racing. A lot of these series were considered regional. Uh, I know when we talked to, to Sal, he didn't even know a whole lot about the Arkham Menard series. I grew up watching yeah. the original ASA. We didn't have the coverage and capability for it to be nationally covered, and now we do uh, through sites like Racing America and, and Flow Racing. So... I think we're going to see a lot more of people, fans, become invested in some of these, what used to only be regional series. Yes, indeed. Uh, so this is this is really big news, uh, the, what's happening in the short tracks. And it's really important, uh, if you're a race fan, uh, to spend some time watching some of these short track uh, events because uh, a lot of stars, uh, eventually end up making their way into NASCAR. So this is where you kind of get to know them uh, before they become stars in NASCAR. And uh, when they when they make that jump into the NASCAR world, like Jonathan Davenport is doing uh, at Bristol on dirt, uh, you, are, you already have some familiarity with who that is. Okay. I want to – let's move over to the ARCA Racing uh, Group now because uh, – this is there's there's racing going on this weekend in the Arkham Menard series. It's their second race of the season, but Arca West is going to be racing with them for their season opener, and that takes place this Saturday. This I think that's a Saturday, March the 10th, Friday. It takes place tomorrow, March the 10th, 8 p.m. Eastern time at Phoenix Raceway. It will be televised on Fox Sports. Two, you'll be able to watch all the action for the General Tire 150 uh, uh, on that station. So uh, let's take a look at uh, everything you need to know about uh, this race, that this combination event that's taking place. First of all, they're going to be well, we'll start at 6 p.m. Mountain Time, 8 p.m. Eastern. You can watch FS1 or the Fox Sports app. It'll also be on MRN and Sirius XM, uh, as well as uh, the fact that, you know, everybody knows Phoenix is a one-mile paved trioval, uh, so they'll be racing those 150 laps. Uh, final practice will take place tomorrow uh, from 3 to 3.45 p.m. local time. 
the General Tire Pole Qualifying at 4 p.m. Mountain Time, and the General Tire 150 again starts at 6 p.m. Mountain Time, uh, and that's 8 p.m. Eastern Time. So, uh, yeah, let's let's talk about what fans need to know about this race. Jay. Well, with the pre-race notes for the General Tire 150, it's the second round, as you mentioned, of the 2023 season for the Arkham Menard Series and also serves as that season opener for the Arkham Menard Series West. Uh, that race will offer points for both, and the winner will be credited with a win in both series. So I always like to see those combo events. Yes, I do too. It's really a, a lot of fun. Now, the race is also the fourth Arkham Menard Series race at Phoenix Raceway dating back to 2020. Uh, previous winners at that race include drivers Chandler Smith, Ty Gibbs, and Taylor Gray. And as we come in here, coming into that second race, it's Greg Van Alst that leads that Arkham Menard Series championship point standings with 47 points based on that win in the season opener at Daytona International Speedway. And Jesse Love, the two-time Arkham Menard Series, Series West champion, the next highest driver in the standings, entered at Phoenix in seventh, who's 10 points behind. Okay. Uh, then you get the Hollywood superstar and Scottsdale resident Frankie Munoz is making his second career Arkham Menard Series start and his first at his home track. Munoz finished 11th in the series debut at Daytona in February, so we'll see if what he's able to do out there at Phoenix this weekend. Give you a little history on the tie between the Arkham Menard Series uh in Phoenix Raceway, it's the 50th race at that track. Previous winners, listen to this list. Cale Yarbrough, Richard Petty, Neil Bonnet, Bobby Allison, uh, Ron Eaton, Bill Schmidt, Rich Woodland Jr., Mike Wallace, Kevin Richards, Ken Trader, Austin Cameron, Scott Lynch, David Gilliland, uh, Bernie Lamar, Andrew Myers, Joey Logano, Mike David, Jason Bowles, Eric Holmes, Greg Pursley, Ryan Blaney. David Mayhew, Michael Self, Gray Galding, Cole Custer, Nick Drake, Todd Gillen, Ty Gibbs, Taylor Gray, and Sammy Smith. That is quite a list. Uh, there's also uh, some drivers that uh, made the track qualifying record, and actually it was just in last year, Sammy Smith, who turned the lap at 26.912 seconds, 133.769 miles per hour set the track record out there at Phoenix Raceway in the Arkham Menard Series. And Smith also holds the Arkham Menard Series West track qualifying as set last November in a lap of 26.570 seconds, which equals 135.491 miles per hour. Even better. Also, uh, Trevor Huddleston makes his return to the Arkham Menard Series West after running a part-time schedule last year. He's a two-time West Series winner, and he's going to be driving this weekend for his father, Tim Huddleston. He purchased the assets of reigning series championship owner Bob Bruncati's Sunrise Racing Team during the off-season so uh, really cool to see Tim Huddleston becoming a team owner here in the Arca Menard Series West. And as a fellow Minnesotan, I'm going to keep an eye on William Stalwich as he's making his Arca Menard Series debut in the General Tire 150. 
He'll be driving for Joe Gibbs Racing, along with veteran crew chief Mark McFarlane calling the shots. Mark McFarlane, he's such a great crew chief, so he's he's in good hands, I'm sure. Now, three drivers are entered, have scored their best previous Arkham Art Series finish at Phoenix Raceway. Takuma Koga had a best finish of 13th in 2020. Todd Souza finished 8th in 21, and Trevor Huddleston finished 10th and also in 21. So those drivers are all going to be looking to see if they can uh, beat those uh, finishes this weekend out at Phoenix. And looking from the West Series, you have two drivers looking to, to do the same at Phoenix Raceway. Tyler Reif finished 12th, and Ryan Roulette finished 22nd back in November of 2022. Okay, now the General Tire 150 again is set for 8 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Mountain on Friday, March the 10th. The race will be televised on Fox Sports 2 and streamed line live on the Fox Sports app. So if you don't have that yet, make sure you download it. The race can also be heard on select affiliates of the MRN Radio Racing Network nationwide on our at mrn.com. I know ARCA Racing usually has uh, that radio coverage as well, if you want to check that out. So much to look forward to in that ARCA Menard Series Phoenix race. Again, we mentioned it's a combo event, so some drivers looking for one one championship with the ARCA Menards West, as well as some looking for that main ARCA Menard Series and to see them battle between the two uh, is just amazing and see where you stack up against your competition. Okay. Uh, I want to mention here, too, among some of the full-time West Series contingent is Sean Hengarani, who is making his debut with Venturini Motorsports in the number 15. We had him on the show last year, so I'm anxious to see what he's able to do in this Phoenix race. He'll also be joined by the teammates, as we mentioned earlier, Jesse Love in the number 20 and Connor Jones in the number 25. So that's going to be cool. Also, speaking of uh, Tanner Reif, Loudon Jackson Motorsports enters Phoenix with a pair of full-season entrants with his brother Tyler Reif and R.J. Smotherman. Uh, So uh, look for, for that team this weekend as well. Other notables include Landon Lewis, Takuma Koga, Todd Souza, Christian Rose, Tony Casentino, John Garrett, and Kyle Keller, all racing at Phoenix Raceway this weekend. Going to be an exciting one for sure, and I I can't wait because it is the West Series opener. We've already kind of seen the Arkham Menard Series and Main Series shake out, but it was Daytona, so this really as we like to say, starts their season if you separate Daytona as a separate entity, which a lot of drivers' teams do. But look for Greg Van Alls to show that that win at Daytona wasn't a fluke, and he's here to play for the entire season. Exactly right. There is a huge entry list over at ArcaRacing.com that tells you everybody that uh, is joining uh, I just want to highlight a couple that are coming from British Columbia, Sydney, British Columbia. David Smith in the 05, racing for his own team, will be there uh, with his crew chief, Brandon Carlson. Uh, I want to get the ones that are out of the country here first. I thought, 
Oh, Rev, yes, here Rev it is. Racing has. Yes, that? go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, Rev, Rev Racing uh, with their number two has Andres Perez de Lara. We've seen a couple of times. He'll be from Mexico City, Mexico. Uh, I believe he's full-time with them this year. Yep, he's definitely he's definitely driving at uh, Phoenix, uh, and we'll see. Uh, uh, Jamie Jones is going to be his crew chief, and Takuma Koga, uh, everybody knows, he comes from Japan for all these races, and it's really cool to see him back on the entry list here. He's from Nagoya, Hitchi, Japan, so uh, well represented from an international uh, flavor here. And we talk about that between series. Uh, it's even greater to see it, I think, between countries like that, as you mentioned, when we see that. And we see it quite a bit here in these Arkham Menards, in the Arkham Menards West and East series, that we get to see that. We've seen a lot of Canadian drivers come through, a couple from South America that we've seen, Mexico drivers and Japanese drivers alike. Yes, indeed. Uh, now, there's a couple of um, uh, storylines here at ARCA Racing as well. Hometown Advantage, uh, Frankie Munoz, you can read about him. Uh, there's one here about Trevor Huddleston, also uh, about Greg Van Alst, and uh, William Salowicz. Uh, there, you can read up about all of these drivers before the race so that you have a chance to uh, get to know these guys uh, ahead of time. Uh, Of course, uh, Greg Van Alts, you know, he won that Daytona race. A big surprise and a big win for the underdogs. Uh, And uh, it's really cool to see him racing full-time this year. It is, and I can't wait to see throughout the season him go toe-to-toe with these bigger teams. We talked about that being um, not even necessarily underfunded, but not the the corporate teams that you see uh, in some of these series. So, uh, look forward throughout that throughout the year for that, and hopefully get to have him back on the show a couple of times. Yes, indeed. Okay, now I want to make sure we mention the Arkham Art Series East because uh, they have not yet started their season. Uh, their season starts on March the 25th, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, for the Pensacola 200 out at Bot Flag Speedway. So uh, <clears throat> that race will be a live stream race over at Flow Racing, but there is always the uh, delayed broadcast. If you can't catch it uh, live, you can watch the delay broadcast on CNBC April the 2nd, 9 a.m. Eastern Time, uh, if you want to catch that race. Also, radio coverage is available at ARCA Racing and through their Race Central, uh, as well as the Flow Racing live stream. So uh, definitely uh, I'm looking forward to that race as well. Well, a little bit of a switch this year. I know, uh, Sharon, you mentioned it. You'd like to see that. It used to be the season opener at New Smyrna for the Arkham Menards East. A little bit delayed. Normally we're talking about the East already and waiting on the West. A little bit reversed this year um, <laughs> as they really look to focus on building that East series up. Yes, it it really does feel uh, different, too. I'm so uh, – I really miss not having the Arca East already in action. Uh, and so I guess it's built up this – high anticipation for that season opener on March 25th. 
Well, and that goes with what we're these executives that made these decisions. I know we talked about that in hot topics of, uh, of some of the things they did to put the focus on the East as a separate series, and it's working because we're waiting on it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, okay. I know we're coming up to the top of the hour here, so I want to uh, kind of build up uh, what's going to happen here in the next uh, 15 minutes or so. Uh, we've got some uh, part of the media interview from NASCAR uh, for Michael McDowell. He's the driver of the number 34 Front Row Motorsports Ford, and uh, <clears throat> he is also a native of Phoenix. So it's really going to be cool to kind of hear from him, his thoughts about going out to Phoenix and racing this weekend. As you know, he's done so well in the last couple of years for Front Row Motorsports. They've really elevated their game. And so I really look for him to have a good race this weekend. Are you still there? Yeah, yep. And he is one of those that we've seen in the past of a veteran driver, been around, been in a lot of different rides, but really, I think, hit the right spot as the front row motorsports. We know they won the Daytona 500, but he has been in the top 10 and 15 battling for some wins. He's not getting the wins every week, but he's in there in contention, and we know that it's a step process. You don't go from running 20th to running first. Uh, we're seeing them on the rise where they are now top 10, top 5 drivers week in and week out at all tracks. Yes, indeed. We're just going to play a clip of it. The media interview is actually over 22 minutes long, uh, so we we won't be able to play the, this in its entirety, but we can play a clip, and I think I'm going to try for about eight minutes or so. I'll find a, a breaking point, and we'll stop, and then Jay and I will talk on the other side uh, about the interview and what Michael McDowell had to say, Okay. Here we go. All right. Appreciate everyone joining us this morning on our call. Michael McDowell, driver of the number 34, loves Travel Stops Mustang, and Arizona native joining us as he gets ready for a, a home race of sorts uh, this weekend at Phoenix Raceway. Michael, we're going to kick it off right with questions we got all lined up, so we won't waste any time. All right? Let's get uh, started with Marty Sakala. Go ahead, Marty. Thanks there. Hey, Michael, appreciate the time, man. So first off, real quick, I just want to confirm, you did not run the test at Phoenix before the year, right? Yeah, that's right. I did not. Yep. All right. That, yeah. So so I wanted to ask about the aero package. From what you've seen or heard, what takeaways did you have, or what are you looking forward to this weekend with the new package? Yeah, so, you know, obviously NASCAR shares some information um, about the test and what they've learned and some feedback. And, you know, obviously being there and driving the car and having the data would be more helpful. Uh, but with, you know, our relationship with Ford and Ford Performance, we're able to, you know, share that information among some of the teams inside the Ford camp, some simulator time coming up tomorrow. Uh, but really that 50-minute practice is going to be crucial. You know, we've um, – you take your, your – I don't want to say best guess, but you, you take the numbers that have been presented to you and you, you try to uh, account for everything, and hopefully you hit the balance right. Um, but, you know, the good thing is is we do have that practice, and probably more importantly than just the practice is the ability to work on it um, after the practice. Um, so what I mean by that is on a typical weekend, you know, the cars are impounded, you know, your spring shock, geometry settings are pretty much set. 
Um, but on Friday night after practice, we'll be able to change springs. We'll be able to change, you know, uh, suspension, things like that to, to really maximize um, everything we can for Saturday. So, um, yeah, looking forward to, you know, getting behind the wheel and with a new package and kind of figuring out what it's going to take to make that work. And then, you know, obviously coming home for Phoenix is fun for me. You answered my follow-up there perfectly. So something else I want to ask you, too. There's been a lot of chatter on social media and on the Internet this week on if Chase Elliott should get the waiver to make the playoffs, should he win or make the top 16 in points. Uh, you know, we heard the time frame should be six weeks. But I know you've only been in the playoffs once, but how do you view it? Should he get a waiver regardless of a recreational incident, or is there a certain limit you believe when it comes to races? Yeah, I haven't really put much thought into it. You know, I, I feel like, yeah, I haven't really thought about it. But, you know, our our sport and season is very long. Um, and so I feel like, you know, other sports, NBA, football, baseball, you can have an injury, whether it's in-game or not in-game, and still be a part of the championship, be a part of the whole season. So I think eliminating somebody, um, you know, due to a, an illness or an injury is, you know, for how long our sport is and for how many races we have is probably not the best way of doing it. So, I feel like you should get a waiver, and, um, you know, that's part of it. You can't control everything. I mean, I know everybody has an opinion about, you know, what guys should and shouldn't do, but, um, you know, you can get injured doing anything. I mean, you look at Daniel Hemrick, you know, he got injured early this year with uh, working out, training for, you know, an upcoming race. So I don't treat that any different than if it's a recreational. I appreciate it, man. Best of luck this weekend. Yeah, thanks. All right, thanks, Marty. Let's go to Bob Pockers. Hey, Bob. Hey, Michael, so do you normally get simulator time, or is this special simulator time because of Phoenix and the changes? No, we get weekly simulator time. Um, we, you know, we uh, we have our time slot that we use every week, and, you know, um, Todd and I um, split it, and, you know, this week Zane and I will split it. Um, you know, so we each get two hours and try to maximize everything you can in that two hours, and, um, yeah, be ready to go. And I guess, was there any thought of maybe, like, using last week's for Phoenix as well, like, just to kind of get ahead of it? Or do you just do it, you know, or is it always specifically, hey, this is the track we're going to in two days type of thing? Normally you're trying to be a week ahead. Um, you know, we try to stay a week ahead. So, yeah, that's that's part of the plan is, you know, do you – you kind of run through bigger things that you want to try and work through so that your engineers have a week to kind of run those different settings through simulation on, you know, not, not driving simulation, but the actual uh, simulation behind, you know, the, the screens. And um, and then you kind of do some fine-tuning. So, uh, for example, like when, when I go tomorrow, we'll, we'll do some Phoenix, but we'll do some Atlanta too. Um, and we'll run through some of the bigger items for Atlanta and then run Phoenix and do some fine-tuning uh, with the package that we've already landed on from a previous week. So uh, a little bit of both. And so just finally, will you and Zane probably have different setups at all for the practice on Friday to try different things? Or do you feel like you, you, you just you got to go with what you both feel is best and not try to, like, do more testing in that, in that combined 50 minutes you have? Yeah, so we, we definitely have talked about that the last week and a half and, and went through some of that on, you know, Monday and Tuesday, just laying out a plan for this week. And um, so, you know, not to beat around the question, but each 
team and engineers and crew chiefs have a little bit different philosophy on how they want to approach things. And so I would say organically we're sort of showing up different um, just based on uh, some things that everybody wants to try. Um, and I think we're probably more comfortable doing that this weekend, knowing that we can hunt, so to speak, Friday night and put in whichever package we think is going to be better between the two cars. Um, so we're using it as an opportunity to try a few things, probably a bit more than we would on a normal weekend. Thanks, Bob. Let's go to uh, Dustin. Hey, Dustin Long. Hey, hey, thanks. Uh, hey, Michael, I'm, I'm curious, kind of continuing with that, you've got a unique situation this weekend where your teammate is somebody that really doesn't have much experience in the car and Zane other than Daytona, which is totally different. And Todd, your regular teammates driving a car that uh, probably not as familiar with it since, since that's a different team. So you have the benefit of this 50-minute practice session, but who are you relying on or how much can your teammates help you because of the lack of experience on Zane's part and, and the new situation for Todd? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I think uh, it depends on how fast they are, <laughs> you know. Um, you know, if Zane goes out there and is, is really quick and that package that they brought is um, is showing some potential, then I think it will be really valuable. Um, you know, as far as Todd goes this weekend, you know, obviously uh, with Rick Ware Racing, they have an alliance with Roush Fenway as well, and we do as well. Um, so I don't necessarily think we'll be able to just, you know, get all that information of what he's, you know, working with and has, but there will be some um, conversations that take place. Uh, but, yeah, no, I think that Zane is, is more than qualified and has done a good job in any situation that he's been in so far. So I think he's still going to have a value to, you know, the team and, and to the, um, you know, to the feedback. I mean, race car drivers are race car drivers for sure. Experience helps that when it's leading a overall direction of development. Um, but as far as balance and feel and what he's fighting and what his car's doing, I think it'll be, you know, valuable. Okay, there you go. Jay, your thoughts about what uh, David Gilliland had to say. And I think I, earlier I said he's a Phoenix native. He's an Arizona native, so from the Arizona state. Well, I heard two different things there. First, let's go back to the – you're talking about the track time in the sim, especially with the new package. But Michael McDowell there talked about you don't get too far ahead. And I think back to in the old days, the point system, you had a long season, and at that time we only had two road courses. A lot of teams kind of considered them throwaway, throwaway races. They weren't as focused on them. In this day and age, the competition, as tight as it is every race – is valuable as far as points, your wins, and even the wins. It's not like you can get one and just coast the rest of the season. We're coming close to that 16-win mark. So staying focused on this week and next week. He said, you know, they're a week ahead, um, so they're prepared, but you can't get any further ahead on that. So I thought that was interesting, along with the sharing of notes within the manufacturer. When he talked about they didn't get to be at the test session, but what they get from Ford as an organization. So that was one aspect I, I heard. Yeah, and and I liked what he said about Zane Smith, too. Zane Smith is, is relatively new. Todd Gilliland's racing for a different team. He's his regular teammate. Um, but 
uh, he still feels that they have a lot to contribute uh, with that practice session for 50 minutes out there at Phoenix Raceway. And I think that's really good, too, because so often uh, you might think that a veteran driver wouldn't look to the newer driver to get information. Uh, and I, w- I was kind of tickled when he said it depends on if he's fast or not uh, as to whether or not he he would have information. But Zane Smith, and he's right, has done a really good job so far. And I know we're not that far into the season, but he's done a really, really good job so far. Uh, in the truck series and with his movement within NASCAR. So I, I think uh, that was uh, really a good insight from Michael McDowell. Well, Sharon, I feel like I should call the cops because you just stole the, the thoughts right out of my head. That, that was the second point um, <laughs> that when he was asked about that. You're right. Uh, yes, he is a rookie and doesn't have any cup experience, but and he said it. Hey, if they're fast, I'm going to them. I, you know, I mean, I don't care who it is. If they're fast, I want to know and and get that help and learn from that. So that will be a factor. Um, and just like you mentioned with a, a dirt driver like Janif- Jonathan Davenport coming in, there's going to be learning both ways. So be open to that. Don't don't shut that door and be like, oh, they're a rookie. They don't know nothing. They're inexperienced because that's where you might pick things up. I know we talked about that when the next-gen car came into play last year. The older the veteran drivers have to unlearn things, so these newer drivers with less experience aren't trying to battle that. So I think there is a lot of value in that from Zane Smith. I, I 100% agree, and you're right. We've been saying that all along about this next-gen car, that it's the newer drivers uh, that really are going to have a shorter learning curve on that. So uh, really, I think wise on Michael McDowell's part uh, to know <clears throat> that he's got he can learn from even a rookie that's coming into the support into the sport. So I, I really enjoyed the, the interview a lot. The more the more I think about that, the funnier it is. If he's fast, I'm going to listen to him. I mean, and that just I mean, logically, <laughs> why wouldn't you, right? I mean. If if you could go learn from another manufacturer, they'd tell you, yeah, you'd go to them, too. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. That tickled me when he said that. Um, So, yeah, I I think uh, we've got a lot to look forward to. I'm glad that they've got that 50-minute practice. They've got the new rules package, too, that they're dealing with. So this practice is super, super important uh, to these drivers to learn the new rules package. Uh, And it actually, they're anticipating that this new rules package is going to give them about 30% more downforce, uh, more in the hands of the driver and the team on their setup uh, with this new package. So I think uh, drivers like it when they have more things in their control. So this practice is going to be super, super important. And I know Michael didn't get asked this question, but it has to be on all the team's minds um, to a certain degree. This is where the championship weekend is held. So some yeah. of your bigger teams that fully expect to or know they're going to be, there's a couple teams already know they should be in the, in the uh, championship, might be looking at that as far as down the road. But, again, you can't get too far ahead of yourself. But that has to be in the back of their mind of, hey, if we get in the playoffs and can get to Phoenix, this is, is the track where the, where the championship will be determined. Uh, it's got to be in the back of everybody's head of, you know, 
can we be the same in November improve, but you have to get there in order for it to even be applicable. So find that balance. Exactly. You know, uh, spring is a little bit different than fall temperature-wise, but I would say, and for most tracks, it it can be a huge difference between spring and fall. But Phoenix is one of those tracks where I don't think that difference is going to be as huge. But uh, we'll see how that all works out. Definitely will be interesting come championship weekend for sure. All right. We're going to go ahead and move on now to the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series. Uh, They are not racing this weekend, but uh, stay tuned because the freight uh, 208 is coming to Atlanta Motor Speedway on Saturday, March the 18th, 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Fox Sports 1 will carry the pre-race coverage starting at 1.30 p.m. Eastern and uh, radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. Uh, so that we do have some notes just to keep everybody up to date with what's happening in the truck series, and I believe it starts with the Sunoco rookies. We were just talking about those rookies. It does, and we greatly look forward to this class in the truck series. Unfortunately, it's been a little rough on them, but when we look at the NASCAR Crafting Truck Series rookie class, they've now got two, mark, two races marked off, and they're all sitting close in the standings. When we look at the numbers as they head into race number three, it's Nick Sanchez currently leads those rookies with 31 points. Now, he did win the pole in the season opener at Daytona, and has posted a best finish of 26 at Daytona. He was caught up in the incident at Las Vegas and finished 30th. Uh, Sanchez will be making his series track debut at Atlanta next weekend. Jake Garcia is one that takes the second-place spot. He's just four points behind Sanchez at 27. He won the Sunoco Rookie of the Race Award at Las Vegas for a 10th-place finish. Garcia looked to make his first career series start at Atlanta Motor Speedway next week as well. And then one point behind him, behind Garcia, is Rajah Karuth, uh, 26 years old, I believe is what that's saying. He posted a 29th place. Oh, he's, okay, there we go. You're right. One point behind is 26 points. Thank you. Um, he posted a 29th finish in both races this season. He'll be making his first start at Atlanta Speedway, Motor Speedway in two weeks. And then coming in with 25 points is Daniel Dye. Uh, He posted a 19th place finish in Las Vegas last weekend, but he did lead for five laps. And like his classmates, he'll be making his first start at the 1.5-mile Atlanta track in a couple of weeks. And rounding out the rookie class, Brett Holmes sits sits with nine points, made a one-series career start at Atlanta Motor Speedway in 2021, finishing 32nd. So you can see it's been a little tough on the rookies so far. That's true. Uh, But one uh, driver that we've been talking about, Zane Smith, is going to continue to ride the wave with Front Row Motorsports. Uh, He made a name for himself last season uh, with his season-opening win at Daytona and his victory at the championship race at Phoenix Raceway. Now, Smith made sure to ride that momentum into this season by pulling off yet another season opening win at Daytona, along with his runner-up finish last weekend at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Now, as the Craftsman Truck Series gears up for the next race two weeks in Atlanta Motor Speedway, Smith can be sure that his name is on everybody's mind as possibly 
a winning contender. Although he's made only three starts at that 1.5-mile Atlanta track, he has posted two top fives and three top tens. Last season, he even managed to work his way up to a fifth-place finish after starting in that 25th position. So uh, watch Zane Smith at Atlanta Motor Speedway. And as I hit that third race, we've got to look back at the second race. And it's no surprise that Kyle Busch hit the jackpot there in Las Vegas. He's a NASCAR Cup Series two-time champion. You skipped one, James. Did I skip a section? Whoop! let me scroll. Mm-hmm. Oh, what did I skip? Ooh. Trucking in Atlanta. No. I don't see another section. Trucking in Atlanta. Okay, well, I've I've got it here. I'll do it, I guess. Okay. Okay, go ahead. No, you go no, ahead. I don't, do I'm not one. seeing that. I, I'm not seeing another section, Sharon. Okay, well, it's on my notes. I don't know. I don't know why it's not on yours, but you're right. It's not in here. Uh, but I have it on the notes uh, through my media thing here. So go ahead and and do the uh, Cal Bush one. All right, um, two-time champion, uh, NASCAR Cup Series champion, made his first Craftsman Truck Series start of the 2023 season last weekend in his home track of Las Vegas. And no one's surprised, he gambled his way into victory lane. Uh, Bush has made several starts and posted multiple wins at the Las Vegas track across all three series. But he had the most success in the Craftsman Truck Series. In a total of seven starts, he's won the poll three times and posted four wins in 2018, 19, 2020, and now 23. And that included six top fives and all seven being top tens. His win last weekend widened his lead as the winningest driver in NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series with 63 wins, and his lead as the driver with the most NASCAR National Series wins to 225 after surpassing the long-standing record held by NASCAR Hall of Famer Richard Petty, who has 200. Okay. Now, after all that action at Las Vegas Motor Speedway last weekend, the Truck Series teams are now heading home to gear up for the Freight 8, uh, uh, for the Freight 208 in Atlanta Motor Speedway on Saturday, March the 18th. Now, there have been 21 different Craftsman Truck Series races at that 1.5-mile track, producing 15 different race winners and 12 different pole winners. Five races have been won from the pole or first starting spot, and most recently Christopher Bell did that in 2017. Cal Bush has made the most trips to Victory Lane, no surprise there. He has six, and has also posted the most top fives with nine. Ron Hornaday Jr., Mike Skinner are tied for the most poles at the track with three, while Matt Crafton holds the record for the most top tens at 11. Corey Heim is Atlanta Motor Speedway's most recent winner in the truck series after he snagged the lead from then-teammate Chandler Smith in the last lap to get that victory. So uh, we'll see what happens this coming week, or not this coming weekend, but in two weeks, uh, when they head out to Atlanta Motor Speedway. Okay, <clears throat> moving on now to the Xfinity Series. 
the United Rentals 200 at Phoenix Raceway will take place Saturday, March the 11th at 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time. The pre-race coverage starts at 3.30 on Fox Sports 1, also MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll be racing a distance of 200 miles over 200 laps since it's a one-mile track. The first two stages are 45 laps each. Stage 1 ends on lap 45, stage 2 on lap 90, and then the last stage is 110 laps ending on lap 200. So moving on to the Xfinity Series notes here. Got some different drivers uh, going to be making some starts. So we'll start with Carson Hosevar. Uh He's to make his Xfinity Series debut with Spire Motorsports. Uh, driver, regular driver in the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series. Josevar will be making his Xfinity Series debut later this season with Spire Motorsports. He will post his first start in the number 77 Chevrolet at Dover Motor Speedway on April 29th and also set to get behind the wheel at Charlotte Motor Speedway, Nashville Speedway, Michigan International Speedway, Darlington Raceway, as well as Bristol Motor Speedway. Okay, also, Hendrick Motorsports is going to enter four Xfinity Series races in 23. For the second uh, consecutive season, they're going to run a part-time Xfinity Series schedule in the number 17, HendricksCars.com Chevrolet. Now, the team is going to kick off the four-race stint at Coda, and that's with William Byron. Kyle Larson will be behind the wheel at Sonoma, followed by Alex Bowman at Watkins Glen International. Larson will also pilot the last race in September at Darlington Raceway. Uh, they're going to be doing this with crew chiefs Greg Ives, Kevin Meandering, uh, and uh, Hendrick Motorsports has posted 26 wins and one driver championship in 2003 in the Xfinity Series. So uh, that will be fun to see uh, them do that this weekend. Well, when we look at winners galore, the Xfinity drivers to watch this weekend at Phoenix. It'll be race, Phoenix Raceway serving as home to the 2023 championship race, and it's a track that all drivers hope to conquer. Now, three full-time Xfinity Series drivers entered into this weekend's United Rentals 200 have done just that, and those are Justin Allgaier, Brandon Jones, and Daniel Hemrick. We'll look first at Junior Motorsports' Justin Algar. Now He's made a name for himself at the one-mile track, posting two wins in 2017 and 19, totaling nine top fives and 17 top tens in his 25 Phoenix starts. In his most recent appearance, it was a third-place finish. Now Algar's Junior Motorsports teammate, Brandon Jones, adds his name to the list of drivers who have found victory lane at Phoenix Raceway, he did it in 2020. He has a total of 14 starts at Phoenix. He's posted the one win in 2020, three top fives and six top tens. And it was last year's spring race that he posted a runner-up finish. And the third one, College Racing's Daniel Hamrick heads into the weekend looking to post his second win at Phoenix Raceway after taking the checkered flag at the 2021 Xfinity Series championship race. In his 10 series starts at Phoenix, he's posted that one win in 2021, three top fives, and seven top tens. In both Phoenix races last season, he was in, finished in eighth place. 
Okay. <clears throat> also, Bush is looking to score another Xfinity Series record for most wins at a single track, and that track is Phoenix. Uh, leading into the race this weekend is colleague races, Racing's Kyle Bush. He's going to be pulling double duty and making his second Xfinity Series start of the season in that number 10 college racing Chevrolet this weekend. <clears throat> Excuse me. In the process, Bush will have the opportunity to break that tie with NASCAR Hall of Famer Mark Martin for the most wins in the Xfinity Series at a single track if he wins this weekend at Phoenix. Now, Martin and Bush are currently tied for the series most wins at a single track. They have 11 wins each. Uh, Bush, uh, Phoenix Raceway, and Martin at Rockingham Speedway. So in his 24 starts at Phoenix, Bush has posted those 11 wins in 2007, 8, 10, 11, and 13. It was a sweep of the track. 2014, 15, 16 was also a sweep, and 2019. 17 top fives and 20 top tens. So in his most recent Xfinity Series stint at that track, that was back in 2020, he won the pole there, but at the end of the race, he finished in third. Phoenix Raceway, again, will welcome the NASCAR Xfinity Series after a battle in the desert last weekend at Las Vegas Motor Speedway that saw Austin Hill snag the checkered flag, this is the second time this season the Xfinity Series now heads to Phoenix Raceway for the United Rentals, to United Rentals 200 here on Saturday, March 11th. There's been a total of 42 NASCAR Xfinity Series races at the Arizona track. It's produced 23 different race winners and 22 different pole winners. 11 of those races have been won from the pole or that first starting position, most recently by Ty Gibbs in last season's championship race. Now, although Gibbs is the most recent pole winner, Kyle Busch is the most decorated driver in the Xfinity Series at Phoenix Raceway. Now, he holds the qualifying record. That's at the speed of 138.0, or I'm sorry, 138.504 miles per hour. He leads the Xfinity Series in polls at 10. He's posted the most wins at 11, as well as top 10s at 20. Uh, lead lap finishes is at 23. And then he's tied with Kevin Harvick for the most top fives at 17. And the Xfinity Series drivers will kick off their weekend. They have a practice session on Saturday, March 11th. It'll be at 12.35 p.m. Eastern time, followed by qualifying, qualifying at 1.05 p.m. Eastern That'll be covered on FS1. Okay. Uh, Austin Hill has had a big start to his season with Richard Childress Racing. Uh, he gets another big win at Las Vegas. He's locked in and focused uh, after that race at Las Vegas, and it's paid off in a big way. In a race that seemed to be in the hands of uh, Chandler Smith, Hill was able to pass him up and as the cars approached the white flag and he held the lead all the way to the end this was hill's second victory of the season his fourth of his xfinity series career and his first at las vegas motor speedway hill now leads into the next two races of the xfinity series at phoenix raceway and then atlanta motor speedway 
uh, with the odds for another win in his favor. As a rookie last season, he made his first start at Phoenix Raceway in the Xfinity Series Spring Race. He posted a 17th place finish. And his, his second stint at Phoenix in the November Championship Race, he took what he uh, learned in his first go-around and fought his way to a top-10 finish. At Atlanta Motor Speedway, his home track, he posted a runner-up finish in the March race and pulled off the win when the series was there in the summer. With two race wins already under his belt this season, Daytona and Las Vegas, Hill has plenty of time to beat his own record for the most wins in one season, which is currently at four in the 2019 Craftsman Truck Series season. So uh, Austin Hill having a season so far in 2023. Definitely off to a strong start. We'll see how that carries through with this third race and get into the meat of the season. Absolutely. All right, moving on now to the NASCAR Cup Series. The United Rundles worked United 500 at Phoenix Raceway. That will take place this Sunday, March the 12th at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Now, Fox will carry the pre-race coverage starting at 3 p.m. Eastern, as will MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They'll race 312 miles over those 312 laps. First two stages, uh, well, first stage is 60 laps. The second stage is 65 laps. So that stage ends on lap 185. The final stage Lins, of course, on the last lap, lap 312. Well, we talked about this a little bit here with the NASCAR next-gen car showcasing its performance. Through the first three races of the season, the NASCAR Cup Series next-gen car has been showcasing its performance, and the stats are backing up all the great action on the track. The 2023 NASCAR Cup Series has already produced 26, or I'm sorry, 261 green flag passes for the lead in these first three points-paying races of the year. Uh, Daytona had 204 green green flag passes for the lead, Fontana 35, and Las Vegas 22, which is the series most through the first three races of the season since the loop data statistic was initially tabulated back in 2007. That's been 17 seasons. In a year-over-year year year comparison, the 2023 NASCAR Cup Series season with 261 green flag passes for the lead has produced an increase of 34.5% over the 2022 season's first three races, which held 194 green flag passes for the lead. In total... The 2023 Cup Series season has produced 18,698 total green flag passes in the first three points-paying races of the year. Daytona containing 11,538, Fontana 3,512, and Las Vegas at 3,648, which is the second most through the first three races since the loop data statistic began in 2007. And that's behind only the 2015 season, which had 19,240. And again, that's total green flag passes, not just for the lead. Right, right. Uh, so that's that's a huge bump there. 
Okay, also Chevrolet is off to a fast start winning the first three races of the season. Uh, so it's there's only been, we've only seen that one manufacturer in Victory Lane, uh, and that manufacturer, of course, is Chevrolet. In the modern era from 72 to 23, uh, the manufacturer has only swept the season's first three races five times, and Chevrolet drivers are responsible for four of them. Chevrolet did it in 1995, 2001, 2010, and again this year in 23. Ford did it in 1992. Uh, this season, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. won the Daytona 500 in the Chevrolet. Then it was Kyle Busch winning at Auto Club Speedway and William Byron, who won last weekend at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. A manufacturer has swept the first four races of the NASCAR Cup season in that modern era. Uh, three times, Chevrolet did it in 95, and in 2001, Ford did it again in 92. The record for the most consecutive wins by a single manufacturer to start the Cup Series season in the modern era is nine straight victories by Ford in the 1992 season. The most consecutive victories to start a Cup Series season by Chevrolet was seven straight wins, and that was in the 95 season the second most in the modern era. So this is already becoming a record-breaking season. Well, we'll look forward to that. I know we talked about that on Hot Topics, of if other manufacturers needed to hit that uh, panic button, and clearly they do not as of yet. They're a long way before we hit any kind of record. And we talked a little bit about this uh, already, but Kenny Raikin is going to return to the NASCAR with Trackhouse's Project 91, and that'll be at CODA. Trackhouse Entertainment Group announced that the 2007 Formula One world champion, champion Kimi Raikkonen, will return to the NASCAR Cup Series March 26th, Raikkonen, at the uh, Circuit of Americas in Austin, Texas, as part of that Project 91 Chevrolet. The race will make Raikkonen's second NASCAR Cup Series race after debuting with Project 91 at Watkins Glen International in New York on August 21st of last year. Now, unlike the Watkins Glen track, Raikkonen is familiar with Coda as he's racing on the road co- he's raced on the road course eight times during his Formula One career. One of his 21 Formula One victories, most recent, came at Coda on October 21st 2018. Okay, another one of those situations where I think information is going to flow both ways there. Okay, we're going to get ready for the Go Bowling PBA NASCAR Invitational at Phoenix Raceway. The inaugural Go Bowling PBA NASCAR Invitational will bring the worlds of bowling and auto racing together. Who would have thought that? And the bowling competition at Phoenix Raceway that will air on March 12th at noon on Fox Sports 1. The telecast will air prior to the 2023 NASCAR United Rentals Work United 500 on Fox. So Go Bowling, a proud sponsor of Phoenix Raceway and the PBA, is partnering with Cubica AMF to construct a pair of, of lanes inside the barn on the grounds of Phoenix Raceway. Fans and guests are invited to attend the event free of charge, and it will be taped on March 10th 
Uh, you'll have a chance to bowl on the lanes once competition concludes. So the Gold Bowling PBA NASCAR Invitational at Phoenix Raceway is featuring four professional bowlers, PBA Tour players Kyle Troop, Jesper Svensson, PWBA Tour stars Daria Pajak, and Verity Crawley is teaming with four NASCAR drivers and celebrities, including NASCAR's Eric Almarola and Ryan Priest in doubles competition. In addition to the doubles tournament, the event will feature a special shootout in which celebrities will compete against each other in a fast-paced bowling competition. Wow. Bowling and NASCAR. Talk about crossovers. <laughs> is, it, is it too early to joke that that might be a high-risk activity? You can get hurt bowling. <laughs> you can, I suppose. <laughs> All right. Uh, honorary pace car driver Lynn St. James has been named the honorary pace car driver at Phoenix Raceway. A racing legend and a trailblazer will lead the NASCAR Cup Series Field to Green uh, Sunday at Phoenix Raceway as Lynn St. James is the honorary pace car driver for Sunday's United Reynolds Work United 500. St. James has competed in 15 IndyCar races which includes seven Indianapolis 500s. She is the second of nine women who have raced in the Indianapolis 500 and was the first woman to win the Indy 500 Rookie of the Year. She has competed, has victories, and set speed records on racetracks around the globe, including the Rolex 24 at Daytona, 12 hours of Sebring, as well as the 24 hours of Le Mans. St. James is a past president of the Women's Sports Foundation, Women in the World Winner's Circle founder and honoree of the 2021 Amelia Island Concours and recipient of the Spirit of Ford Award. Automotive News selected Lynn as one of the top 100 women in the automotive industry and sports regional representative on the FIA Women in Motorsports Commission and serves on the appeals panels for NASCAR and IndyCar. She's also the co-founder of the non not-for-profit Women in Motorsports North America, and an inductee into the prestigious Automotive Hall of Fame in 2022. Uh, Certainly one of the most recognizable female names, and as it says, definitely a trailblazer. Okay. Now, we mentioned this a little bit earlier. Uh, Todd Gilliland's racing for Rick Rare Racing, not front row motorsports this weekend. He'll drive the number 15. Uh, and Zane Smith will be in Front Row Motorsports number 38. So uh, we want to make sure fans know that ahead of time this weekend. Fans will find Front Row Motorsports uh, driver Todd Gilliland again in that number 15 for Rick Rare. And in his stead in the number 38 FRM Ford is going to be the rising star of the Craftsman Truck Series, Zane Smith. Now, Gilliland is ranked 27th in the point standings after Las Vegas. The 22-year-old driver has posted a best finish of 17th this year. That was at Auto Club Speedway, and he's looking to this weekend. Uh, So he's made two series starts at Phoenix. He's posted a best finish of 19th at that one-mile track. Zane Smith, who runs full-time in the Craftsman Truck Series, is making his second series start this season at Phoenix. And his second season debut, 
in his season debut at uh, Daytona, the 23-year-old finished an impressive third place in the Great American Race. This weekend will be Smith's Cup Series track debut at Phoenix Raceway. So uh, new drivers... Different drivers in uh, different spots, different cars this weekend. Well, and I'm happy to see it. Todd Dillon will run all 36 Cup Series race and be eligible for the championship, so I'm glad they were get yeah. that, able to get that worked out. Yes, indeed. Now, we talked a little bit, little bit about McDowell, but also Bowman are headed back home. The NASCAR fans from Arizona uh, will have two drivers from their home state to root for this weekend at Phoenix Raceway in the United Rentals United Work 500. Alex Bowman has seven cup starts and one Xfinity starts for a total of eight, whereas Michael McDowell has one each, um, one in the cup series and one in the Xfinity. Neither has any truck series starts. A total of 33 drivers in the NASCAR National Series have their home state recorded as Arizona. Of those 33, Three drivers from Arizona. Only two drivers have won at the NASCAR National Series race. We mentioned that Alex Bowman has a total of eight and Michael McDowell, too. Notably, McDowell's won the 2021 Daytona 500. So we'll see what Alex Bowman can try to add to that list this weekend. Yes, indeed. Okay, now Las Vegas case, some drivers that jumpstart they need to get their 2023 season going. Uh, this past weekend at Las Vegas, seven of the top ten finishers in the Pennzoil 400 scored their best finish of the season, including William Byron, who finished first, Kyle Larson in second, and Alex Bowman in third. Bubba Wallace finished fourth, Austin Sendrick sixth, Martin Truex Jr. seventh, and Justin Haley finished in eighth. But uh, we're going to have an update here as well for the Sunoco rookies. <clears throat> Another series, the Sunoco rookie uh, class update there, a little rough on them. Haven't seen a whole lot from them, but Joe Gibbs Racing's Ty Gibbs does lead the 2023 Sunoco Rookie of the Year standings following that third race of the season at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. He's got 53 points and is up 18 points over Legacy Motor Club's Noah Gregson, who has 35. Both rookies will be making their NASCAR Cup Series career track debut this weekend at Phoenix Raceway, but both should have a good run this weekend. They both have wins at this track in the NASCAR Xfinity Series, so hopefully that carries over and they start showing that improvement. I hope so. Okay, Chase Briscoe is going to look to rebound from the start of the 2023 season with a solid run at Phoenix. Uh, Talking about having a rough start, Stuart Haas Racing's Chase Briscoe uh, wants to rebound from his slow start to the NASCAR Cup Series season, where he hasn't finished higher than 20th in his first three starts. Now the Mitchell, Indiana native returns to Phoenix Raceway, where he scored his very first career Cup Series victory. He's looking to defend, to defend his last season win. Now Briscoe is currently mired in the lower half of the point standings in 32nd place. He's just 28 points uh, he has just 28 points for the entire season. In his first three starts this season, he's put up a 35th place finish at Daytona, a 20th place finish at Auto Club, and a 28th place finish last weekend at Las Vegas. Uh, but keep in mind, Briscoe has made four starts at Phoenix, posting one win and two top fives. So this could be a turnaround 
race for Chase Briscoe. Move on to a Stuart Haas racing teammate. My no, fantasy pick this week. What about the race winners? Well, I thought that was under the yeah, that's under the same category here as we talk about Kevin Harvick because he's got the two more chances to reach ten wins at Phoenix Raceway. Now, statistically, Phoenix Raceway is Stuart Haas racing driver Kevin Harvick's best track, and after announcing his retirement, uh, will be at the end of this season. He has just two more chances to left to become the sixth different driver in NASCAR Cup Series history to win 10 or more races at a single track. We talked about this with Kyle Busch and Mark Martin. The 2014 NASCAR Cup Series champion Kevin Harvick is returning to Phoenix Raceway as a series leader in wins at the one-mile track with nine victories. He swept in 2006, picked up the 2012 and 13 playoff races, Swept in 2014, the spring race in 2015, as well as 16 and 18. Now the 47-year-old veteran has that opportunity to join an elite list of drivers with 10 or more victories at a single track. Uh, Richard Petty, Daryl Waltrip, Jimmy Johnson, David Pearson, and Dale Earnhardt. Uh, NASCAR Hall of Famer Richard Petty holds the NASCAR Cup Series record for the most tracks with 10 or more wins at five different tracks. Wow. Uh, Martinsville, North Wilkesboro, Richmond, Rockingham, and Daytona. Uh, Darrell Waltrip has three tracks that he's done it at. He's got 12 wins at Bristol, 11 at Martinsville, and then 10 at North Wilkesboro. Jimmy Johnson uh, has 11 at Dover. David Pearson has 10 at Darlington. And Dale Earnhardt, 10 at Talladega. Now, Harvick's last win in the NASCAR Cup Series race was at Richmond Raceway back on August 14th of 2022 is a total of 15 races ago. His last win at Phoenix Raceway, however, came in the spring race of 2018. In total, Harvick has made 40 career cup starts at Phoenix Raceway, posting two poles, those nine wins, 19 top fives, and 29 top tens. His average finish at the track is 8.650, which is best among active drivers. In the spring race last season, he finished sixth. Okay. We headlined this a little bit earlier. Now we'll get into some of the specifics as NASCAR introduces a new package for short tracks and road courses. Now, they announced those updates to the components for the NASCAR Cup Series car for races held at road courses and short tracks except for Bristol and Dover. The road course and selected short track package will consist of the following. A two-inch spoiler. Uh, they'll, they'll remove the engine panel strakes, remove the center and inner diffuser strakes. Only the outer diffuser strakes will remain installed. Spacers will be installed between the diffuser flap and the diffuser due to removing the inner diffuser strakes. And they'll also remove the diffuser fences and replace with baseline fences. The splitter stuffers will remain unchanged from the current components. The rules are in place for the following tracks, the Charlotte Roval, the Chicago Street Course, Circuit of the Americas, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Road Course, Martinsville, New Hampshire, North Wilkesboro, Phoenix, Richmond, Sonoma, and Watkins Glen. 
so the teams and drivers can have the additional track time to adjust to these new components. NASCAR has made Phoenix Raceway an extended practice for this weekend. They'll have a 50-minute practice, uh, and that was added to the schedule for Friday from 4.35 p.m. to 5.25 local time. So, uh, again, a new package uh, debuts this weekend at Phoenix. Well, since our uh, mechanical expert, Mike, isn't here as of yet, I don't think uh, I'm going to go to the <laughs> next topic because I can't expound on any of those. <laughs> now, when we look okay, at Phoenix Raceway, it's competition. Yeah, in the desert. Uh, three races, three great races to start the season, producing three different winners. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. at Daytona, Kyle Busch at Auto Club, and William Byron at Las Vegas. We head into Phoenix Raceway for the United Reynolds Work United 500 this Sunday, March 12th. Phoenix Raceway has hosted 53 NASCAR Cup Series races prior to this weekend. It's produced 26 different pole winners and 28 different race winners. Ryan Newman in 2002, 3, 4, and 8, and Richard, Richard Childress Racing's Kyle Busch now, 2006, 12, 16, and 19, lead the Cup Series in poles at Phoenix Raceway with four each. Eleven of the 26 Phoenix Raceway pole winners are active this weekend, though. Mentioned uh, Kyle Busch, Ryan Blaney has three in 22, 19, and 17. Joey Logano in 22 and 17, Kevin Harvick in 18 and 15, Martin Truex in 18 and 09, Denny Hamlin in 14 and 2005 as the multi-winners, Kyle Larson in 2021, Chase Elliott in 2020, Alex Bowman in 2016, Keselowski, Brad Keselowski in 2014, and A.J. Allmendinger in 2010 all have single poles. Now I said uh, Stuart Haas Racing's Kevin Harvick Leads the Cup Series at Phoenix Raceway with nine victories, most by the active driver at a single track. Eight of the 28 Cup Series Raceway winners that are active this weekend. And that also includes Kyle Busch with three in 2019, 18, and 05. Joey Logano in 2022, 2020, and 16. Denny Hamlin has a pair in 19 and 2012. Chase Briscoe in 2022. Kyle Larson and Martin Truex split them in 2021, and then Chase Elliott in 2020. Our team Penske's Joey Logano, the most recent winner at Phoenix Raceway, grabbed his third career win at the one-mile track in November. And Stuart, Haas racing, Stuart Haas Racing's Chase Briscoe, the defending winner of the spring race. With that win last season, Briscoe became just the third different driver to win their first career Cup Series victory at Phoenix Raceway putting him on a list with NASCAR Hall of Famer Alan Kowicki in 1988 and Bobby Hamilton in 1996. The on-track action for the Cup Series practice session, as Sharon mentioned, at Friday, March 10th at 6.30 p.m. Eastern, and then Bush Light Pole qualifying on Saturday, March 11th at 2 p.m. Eastern time, both events live on FS1. Okay. Another big uh, news story most recently is Chase Elliott being sidelined with his broken leg. Uh, and Josh Berry will be behind the wheel of that number nine at Phoenix. 
uh, blazoned it across nearly all of motorsports media outlet websites this past week was the news of Hendrick Motorsports driver Chase Elliott being sidelined after he broke his left tibia in a snowboarding accident. As a result, junior motorsports driver Josh Berry was tapped to pilot that number nine Chevrolet at Las Vegas. And after crew chief Alan Gustafson and the nine crew worked feverishly to set up the car for Sunday, Bush ended uh, with a 29th place finish in his series debut. Now, with Chase Elliott's length of absence looking to be nearly six weeks, uh, Barry is going to have another shot at jumping behind the wheel of that number nine this weekend at Phoenix Raceway and all oval events Elliott might miss. Now, the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Card star, Jordan Taylor, is going to drive the number nine at the Circuit of the Americas. I think that's super exciting. I was very happy to hear that. This will be Barry's uh, NASCAR Track Series debut at Phoenix, but the 32-year-old from Hendersonville, Tennessee, has made three Xfinity Series starts at the one-mile track, and he's posted one top-five finish there in the Xfinity Series. But how about Jordan Taylor racing at Coda in that number nine car? I certainly am excited, as you are, to see that. Uh, I think that was an excellent decision by Hendrick Motorsport, and I love to see that crossover we've talked about. We've talked about some rough starts, but we've got a strong early start by Trackhouse Racing as they have both teams in the series' top five. Through the three races of the 2023 NASCAR Cup Series season, Trackhouse Racing drivers Ross Chastain and Daniel Suarez have been putting up some impressive performance and as a result are both ranked inside the top five in the NASCAR Cup Series driver points uh, standings for the second consecutive week. The first season, the organization has had both drivers ranked within the top five in points. Following Las Vegas, Ross Chastain leads the NASCAR Cup Series point standings by a mere three points over second place Alex Bowman and 21 points up on third place Kevin Harvick. Chastain's teammate Daniel Suarez currently ranked fourth in the series standings and is only 25 points back from Chastain in that series lead. Suarez is one of only two drivers to score top 10 finishes in all three races this season, uh, Alex Bowman being the only other driver to accomplish that feat. Looking ahead to Phoenix this weekend, expect the Trackhouse Racing's success to continue. In this race last season at Phoenix, Chastain finished runner-up to uh, race winner Chase Briscoe, and Suarez finished in the top 10 with a ninth-place run. Chastain has made nine series starts at Phoenix Raceway, posting two top-five finishes. His average finish at the one-mile track is an 18.5. Suarez has made 12 starts at Phoenix, and the Monterey Mexico native has put up three top-ten finishes. Okay. <clears throat> well, we've got another driver that's added his, his name to the playoffs uh, and the all-star race with his Vegas victory, and that is William Byron. And he did it in impressive fashion as the Hendrick Motorsports driver displayed their 1.5-mile package prowess by dominating the Cup Series race at Las Vegas, finishing 1, 2, and 3 with drivers William Byron, Kyle Larson, and Alex Bowman. The Hendrick contingent managed to lead a combined 241 of the 271 laps competed. Uh, that's 88.9%, with 
with Byron scarfing up the lion's share of 175 laps led out front. With the big win, Byron is now the third different driver to secure his spot into the Cup Series playoffs and also the All-Star Race, which will be held at the newly renovated North Wilkesboro Speedway on May 21st. Byron joins Daytona 500 winner Ricky Stenhouse Jr. and Auto Club Speedway on the series postseason list. The Las Vegas win also jumped uh, Byron up 16 spots in the points standings. He now sits in 13th place. The victory at Las Vegas was the fifth for William Byron's Cup Series career and the first at the 1.5-mile track located just outside of Sin City. Byron will look to keep the momentum going this weekend at Phoenix Raceway. The track will play host to the championship race later this season. Byron's made 10 starts at Phoenix, posting five top five finishes. His average finish at the one-mile track is 13th. So, uh... A lot to look forward to again. I always say that because there always is a lot to look forward to in each and every race. And uh, it was a dominant performance by Hendrick Motorsports out there at uh, Las Vegas last weekend. Well, and we talked about the streak of Chevrolet. I I look at the streak of different winners because we had that to start last season too. So a lot of different things are going to be on the line as far as streaks and just adds to that excitement of the strong competition here in the NASCAR Cup Series level. Yes, indeed. Uh, We're coming up on the top of the hour, and that's uh, when we start our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off with our Fan for Racing crew. And uh, we've got a number of topics on our list today, Jay. So uh, we're going to be busy, busy in the next half hour or more. Most certainly, and uh, I imagine you're going to let Mike kick it off. Is he here yet? Are we having to wait on Mike? Uh, no, Mike's here. He's here. I brought him into the queue already. So uh, we're ticking off the time here for the top of the hour, but let's go ahead and get started with our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off and welcome our new our uh, Racing crew member, Michael Orzel. Welcome to the show, Mike. Hell, I could not keep you all waiting. I've been on the phone for a little while here just listening. Jay, how dare you? <laughs> how dare him say that, huh? <laughs> I, I kind of figured he was already listening, so I thought I'd get a jab in before he could even defend himself. <laughs> uh, it never ends. It's always coming. <laughs> okay, but uh, Mike, let's hear what the first hot topic's going to be for tonight's show. Sure. So this has been kind of a trickle that has, has turned into a big hot topic. Um, the upcoming race at Circuit of the Americas at the end of the month is shaping up to be a, a star-studded event. Uh, this all started off on Tuesday when Hendrick Motorsports announced who would be replacing Chase Elliott over the next six or so weeks while Elliott recovers from his snowboarding injury. And then, uh, no surprise, I said Josh Berry would be in the car for the oval races. The big news, though, was that IMSA champion, multi-time IMSA champion, 24-hour Le Mans winner Jordan Taylor will be driving the nine-car Circuit of the Americas. The very next day, Trackhouse Racing announced that F1 champion Kimi Raikkonen would come back and drive the 91 car at Circuit of the Americas. And then just this afternoon, 
Rick Ware Racing is going to be in a partnership with Stuart Haas Racing to field a car with Formula One champion Jensen Button. So we have three outstanding road course racers, champions of road course racing series, all coming to race in the NASCAR Cup Series race in uh, about three weeks at Circuit of the Americas. Okay, Jay, your thoughts. I know we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but now's your chance to get up on the soapbox and expound. Well, it's it's a trend we've seen before, I think just to a different level. Back in the day, I mentioned uh, road course races uh, in a 36-race season kind of were throwaways, and the teams just wanted the best finish for the team, so they brought in road racing veterans. But we're seeing it more from the other series stars, not just good road course drivers within the NASCAR circuit. Uh, So I think that's a huge thing. And we've talked about this, the crossover between racing brands. Um, Kimi Raikkonen has made a start already, but for the other two, and I'm with Sharon, I kind of want to see Jordan Taylor, uh, multi-time winner in the Rolex 24 at Daytona, to see him especially in a Hendrick Motorsport Chevrolet. I hate to see the fact that Chase Elliott's out, but you got to make the best of the situation. So I think that was a great move by them. Um, yeah, Trackhouse Racing's Project 91, that was their whole target with that car and that program. So there it's just a matter of waiting to see who they fill in with that as they get more opportunities. Uh, Rick Ware Racing, that one was kind of a bit of a surprise but I like to see that because these teams are then using that to build their foundation for their team. So I see nothing but upside on this whole deal. The beneficiary uh, as a whole is looks like right now uh, CODA, the Circuit of Americas, because I think that's going to bring in just that many more fans from these different series. Yeah, I agree. I'm, I'm super excited about Jordan Taylor. Uh, we've had Jordan on the show, and I'm thinking, can I get him back on the show again to just talk about this? Because I think that would be awesome. But, uh, yeah, Jordan Taylor uh, driving that number nine uh, is going to be huge. Uh, as is Kimi, Kimi Raikkonen, uh, Raikkonen. I think he is uh, – uh, again, going to be a big-name driver uh, benefiting. And, and we talked about this. It's going to be a two-way uh, benefit here for these teams that are bringing in these other drivers uh, for these tracks. So <clears throat> Coda is the big winner, as you said, uh, and that's where all three of these drivers are going to be racing. But keep in mind, Jensen Button is actually going to race not only um, – uh, Coda, but he's also going to be racing at the Chicago Street Course and in the Indy Road Course as well. So uh, we'll get to see him three times out there on the track, and uh, uh, I think that's going to be fantastic. Kimmy, I, I only know about Coda. I don't know if he's going to be in any other races or not, but uh, I, uh, Mike's right. We are going to see other drivers in that project. Uh, is it 51 Project 51? Uh, for track house racing, there will be other drivers that will be coming in to race uh, as part of that project. And I think that was a great idea when track house came up with it, but to see these other teams kind of taking advantage of um, uh, a team like Rick Rail Racing, uh, this is, is definitely something that could help them uh, up their game a little bit with Jensen Button behind the wheel at these uh, three road course events. Uh, also, 
uh, Jordan Taylor, uh, I think, is the catch, uh, a big catch for Hendrick Motorsports and uh, them taking advantage of it. Yeah, we're, we're sad to see Chase Elliott out of that car, but to take advantage of the opportunity to bring in Jordan Taylor, I think, is fantastic. So uh, I know I'm just kind of repeating what Jay has said there, but it's all true and uh, definitely looking forward to it. Mike? So you said Circuit of the Americas is the big winner here, and I disagree. The big winner here is me and the millions of other NASCAR fans who are going to get to see probably one of the biggest name races that we've had in a long, long time. Really the only unfortunate thing is we've got these big stars coming in from other racing series, and unfortunately NASCAR's current best road course driver is going to be watching it from the couch. The upshot, if you want to call it that, is Jordan Taylor probably wouldn't have been in the race if Chase Elliott hadn't gotten hurt. So it, it, I guess it all works out from there. Uh, with regard to Kimi Raikkonen, uh, Justin Marks did say, I think last week, that that 91 car is Kimi's until he decides he doesn't want to do it anymore. So they haven't announced any other dates that I'm aware of beyond Circuit of the Americas, but it sounds like Kimi Raikkonen will make return trips to that 91 car in the future. Oh, cool. I would assume road course races, uh, but then again, he might want to try an oval race at some point as well. Jensen Button, in addition to the races that you listed off, Sharon, don't forget that Jensen Button is also on the driver roster for the Garage 56 uh, 24-hour Le Mans entry. Uh, it's going to be Jimmy Johnson, Jensen Button, and Mike Rockefeller driving that car this summer for the 24-hour Le Mans race. So this is a great opportunity for Jensen to get some practice in a car. The Gen 7 Cup car is not identical to what they're going to be racing at Le Mans, but the Le Mans car is very similar. So this is probably the best opportunity for Jensen to get some, some real practice driving a car that's going to be very similar to what he'll be racing this summer at Le Mans. So I'm sure that, that plays into why he wants to drive in the Cup Series this year. But it's great to see all these drivers coming in. No word yet, though, on Boris said. He may make an appearance. I don't know. But with this many big names, it, we would be remiss to not see Boris said out there uh, at Circuit of the Americas. And all the said heads. Okay. Jay, do you have a follow-up? I do, and I said I was going to kind of tie this in from another one that I didn't have listed, but I think you're seeing this, that teams are looking at this at all aspects when you talk about we've seen it in the truck series but never at the cup level. For the Bristol race on dirt, College Racing has gone for their third team to Jonathan Davenport, a top super late model driver. So you're seeing that at all levels and bringing in that mixture, again, of crossover from different series, from different um, aspects of racing. And I think that does tie in because they've, they've seen and learned what this can do for teams, the sport, uh, their sponsors, and all of that. So... Um, I think you're just kind of seeing more and more of a trend of that. We don't have those spots as, as readily as available. As Mike mentioned, uh, I think Jordan Taylor, the only run, reason this one came about was the absence of Chase Elliott, unfortunately. Um, but like I said, they're making the best of the situation. So, But it'll be interesting to see how much more of this we see through in the future down the road at other tracks, not just Circuit of Americas or the dirt track, but some other avenues where teams see this opportunity and capitalize on it. Yep, and let's not forget, that that is a big one, Jonathan Davenport coming in up for, <coughs> excuse me, just a minute, <coughs> 
Uh, Jonathan Davenport coming in for that big race um, with the Bristol Dirt Race. Uh, so he is a big short track dirt racer, and uh, I think this is going to be exciting. But let's keep in mind that we've had a lot of NASCAR drivers that have been out there short track racing uh, for quite a while now, too. William Byron, one of the big names, winning a lot of uh, short track races here lately. But you've got that ASA race that's coming up, and we've got uh, Grant Infinger that's going to be racing, Carson Hosevar, and uh, Ty Majeski are all going to be racing. And, and we see that periodically throughout the year uh, where a lot of the NASCAR drivers are uh, dipping into the short track pool and uh, racing some uh, exciting races. So I, I hope it continues. I think it's good for the short tracks. Uh, we talked about it earlier. A lot of these drivers come from short track racing into NASCAR, so it's good to see them giving back by going back out there and hopefully boosting up some of the attendance at some of those short track races. Um, uh, we talked earlier about how some of the short tracks are hurting right now for attendance. So if they continue that trend, I think it will be a very big positive uh, for the short track world, and um, uh, as it should be because uh, a lot of these drivers, and, and Jonathan Davenport is one of them, uh, that that could do it, uh, is to come into NASCAR uh, and make his way into the NASCAR world. Whether or not he does that, I don't know. He may or may not have any desire to do that. But the fact that he's coming for that Bristol Dirt Race is a big deal. Mike? I think the thing that's most exciting about this is back in the day with the road course ringers, Boris Stead and all the other guys who used to come in and run these road course races like Jay talked about, they were usually running junk, you know, the back marker field filler type equipment where it was a regular rotation of drivers in the car anyway, and they just happened to bring in a road course specialist at these road course races. And as a result, they would get more out of the car than a typical oval track NASCAR driver would most of the time, but they were still in a not very good car. That's not the case coming up for Circuit of the Americas. Jordan Taylor is going to be driving a nine car. That car tends to dominate every road course that it goes to. Obviously, Chase Elliott's an outstanding road course racer, but we know Jordan Taylor is as well. Kimi Raikkonen in the 91 car. Well, Ross Chastain is the points leader. Daniel Suarez is sitting fourth in points. And I would imagine that 91 car is going to be just as good or better than the one in the 99. So Kimi Raikkonen is going to be an outstanding equipment. Jensen Button will be in a Rick Ware racing car, but it's going to be prepared by Stuart Haas Racing. So, again, more great equipment in the hands of some very, very capable drivers. I'm not going to say I'm going to for sure pick one of these guys to win, um, if I sandbag well enough, I will pick Jordan Taylor for that race. I'm just going to – I'm calling my shot right now. <laughs> but I would say this is probably the best opportunity we're going to have for a road course ringer to win a NASCAR Cup Series race in a long, long, long time, probably not since Marcus Ambrose. Marcus Ambrose was a full-time driver at that point, so it's even mm-hmm. hard to call him a road course ringer. Uh, but, yeah, this, this is shaping up to be an outstanding event. March 26th is the, uh, the race – date for that, and I'm really looking forward to seeing it. Okay, very good. Jay, your turn to bring up our next hot topic. Well, you mentioned his name several times here, and there where it came to drivers leaving the Cub Series to go elsewhere. We had an announcement that William Byron, you know he's been doing it, but going to do it with KBM, Kyle Busch Motorsports for the Truck Series. 
And this is something I hadn't really thought about with him switching over to Chevrolet. Him filling his part-time ride in that number 51 truck now opens up a new door of opportunities because it's a Chevy team. And William Byron, the first Chevrolet driver, to be the one to hop on board with that. Okay. Mike, your thoughts? This is interesting. Like Jay said, uh, Cobblish Motorsports is in a major transition this year. Obviously, for years and years and years, they've been a Toyota development team with Kyle Busch driving the 51 truck regularly for them. Uh, but obviously, being a Toyota team, it closed the door to the other manufacturers. Now that they've switched over to Chevrolet, it gives the opportunity for having uh, Chevrolet drivers come in, and in this case, obviously, William Byron. So good to see him go back. Obviously, William had a great ser- uh, season when he was in the trucks. He could have, should have, would have won the championship if he hadn't blown an engine at New Hampshire uh, back in the playoffs when he was a full-time truck series driver. Um, Obviously not going to be eligible for truck series points, but he's just going to go out there and try and win the race. Now, the good thing here is presumably William will be bringing sponsorship and notoriety with him, and that's a challenge in the truck series. Is it, it, it's an expensive series to run, and there's not a lot of sponsorship to go around, even for a big team like KBM. So having a big name like William Byron in the truck will hopefully help fund opportunities for some lesser big-name drivers to move up from an Arkham Menards or some other series to get an opportunity to run in a KVM truck later in the year because a guy like William Byron came in, brought the funding, and was able to get that truck prepared and funded to run races later in the year as well. So that's really something to keep in mind of why William Byron will be running in this series. Okay. Uh, William Byron, uh, by the way, We'll be racing the Bristol Dirt Race, Darlington, and North Wilkesboro in that number 51 Chevrolet for KBM. And uh, I, I think it's great, too, because like you guys said, uh, the move from Toyota to uh, Chevrolet gives us an opportunity to see a whole different group of people behind the wheel of a KBM uh, truck. So uh, he he races very well in the truck series. He's going to be in great equipment. Uh, and Mike brings up a good point, not only uh, what he said, but also the fact that he's going to be bringing in a lot more eyes to that particular race uh, with um, the truck series. So it, it, I know that fans don't always like to see the Cup Series guys race in the lower tier series, but they do so much for that series when they do. So this is a good example of uh, of uh, he, he will bring more people to the track to watch that race. Uh, he has a lot of followers, and uh, I do think William Byron behind the wheel of that 51 truck is going to be uh, fun to watch. So, and the other drivers do benefit from him being there, too. Uh, they will learn from him. Uh, and there's a lot of new drivers that are racing in that truck series. So this will be a big benefit to them as well. Jay? Well, as I said, my first thought was the opportunity. As we know, Kyle Busch, um, the 51 truck, has a rotation of drivers. William Byron going to fill in three of those slots. But the door had opened for other Chevrolet drivers uh, was kind of where my first thought fell, and who else might do it. But first I want to dig deeper into this William Byron one, and I look at some history and maybe a changing of Kyle Busch. We saw when he went over to Richard Childress, they had to kind of bury the hatchet with an incident between owner Richard Childress and Kyle Busch from the past. William Byron, when he was driving in the trucks, 
was a Toyota driver and had driven for Kyle Busch Motorsports. When he got to the cup level, Rudy Fugel went with him as the uh, crew chief, and that was an integral team member to Kyle Busch Motorsports. And I know at the time, Kyle made a comment that he might have been a little bitter about that, that they let him get away. For him to mend that bridge and come back together with William Byron, I think shows a change in Kyle Busch uh, as far as that goes of putting the past behind him and the steps he's taken in his career maturity level that I think kind of maybe gets overlooked. But I also am excited to look down the road of who else as a Chevy driver might enter these truck races for him if the opportunity were to arise. Okay, Mike, your follow-up? Well, yeah, Jay brings up a really good point about, you know, mending the fences or burying the hatchet, however you want to look at it. Uh, what if you had, <laughs> excuse me, <laughs> now I'm catching whatever Sharon is, apparently. Anyway, I hope not. Um, I know. I, I just tried a science experiment. Believe it or not, you can't breathe in iced tea. It, uh, it does not work as well as air does. So important safety tip, don't breathe iced tea. <clears throat> anyway, back to what I was saying. Uh, at the end of the day, it was a business decision. I'm sure Kyle understands that it was business that William Byron left and so did Rudy Fugel, and that's, that's just how it is. Um, but then again, it is nice to see William go back over there. I'm sure there are probably still some employees at KVM who were there when William was driving the truck a few years ago. So having a little bit of a, a reunion, if you will, uh, and, and, and being out on the racetrack with KVM again, it's going to be kind of neat to see. Uh, very different truck, very different organization at this point, but at the same time, it's familiar, which is kind of cool. Um, so as far as other Chevy drivers going in there, good, that's a really good question. Um, Austin Dillon raced a colleague racing car in the Xfinity Series a couple weeks ago. Um, that car is also being shared with Kyle Busch through the year uh, and some other ones. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Austin Dillon, if he does a truck series race, uh, come down and, and race a, a KBM truck as well, though nothing has been announced. This is just speculation on my part. Um, Sheldon Creed, possibly. Uh, he's got a RCR connection, obviously, driving for uh, Richard Childress in the Xfinity Series. Uh, he might very successful truck series driver, former champion in the series, might go back and, and drive a Chevrolet KDM car as well. So definitely something to keep an eye on through the year. The door is open. It's going to be interesting to see who walks through it. Okay. And I, I, I think that uh, this is another one of those situations where there's going to be reciprocal learning taking place. Uh, we've seen – uh, William Byron become a better race car driver by going out and racing some of the short tracks. Uh, hopefully that this will help support that as well. But I see William Byron being a big support to KBM as they build their organization now around Chevrolet uh, uh, with him racing at these short tracks like the Bristol Dirt Race, Darlington, and North Wilkesboro. Uh, I think that uh, there's going to be uh, some good learning for KBM on those shorter tracks uh, from a driver like William Byron, who has extensive experience now on sh- with short track racing. So I, I don't think there's any uh, coincidence in the fact that uh, William Byron is coming back for those specific races. Uh, I think it's uh, a, a good uh, move on the part of KBM and uh, a good move for uh, William Byron as well. So, and all of the other things that you guys have brought up are all good points. Jay, you get the final word. Well, speaking of opening doors and seeing what goes through it, Mike, I couldn't have left that door open any wider. 
I know he's got some other things he's got to take care of right now, but we have seen Chase Elliott make the occasional truck start uh, in Chevrolet teams. So that was kind of where I was going with it. Of you, Imagine that headline for 2023, Chase Elliott driving for Kyle Busch Motorsports. Um, but I think my kid on another key one is Sheldon Creed. Uh, with uh, RCR in the Xfinity Series, came in as a dominant truck series winner and champion, not exactly been setting the world on fire in the Xfinity Series, going back to the truck series, getting uh, that confidence back, if you will, um, could be another very viable option, I think, uh, that would benefit um, him. We saw it with John Hunter Nemechek, go back to the truck series, show that talent again, and come back. So I think Sheldon Creed is a, a good one, too. As Mike said, pure speculation. All we know is William Byron for three races. Beyond that, it is all on us of what we'd like to see or think could be a possibility. But uh, the Chase Elliott deal is kind of what popped into my head. Okay. Uh, Let's move on now, Mike, to our next hot topic. Well, I guess we can keep going down the theme of uh, different series, different drivers. Uh, Hendrick Motorsports, we talked about them working on their Xfinity program again this year. Well, this week they announced their four-race schedule, as well as the drivers that are so first up is going to be Circuit of the Americas with William Byron. Then Kyle Larson will have the car at Sonoma. Alex Bowman will have the car at Watkins Glen. And then Kyle Larson comes back for Darlington in September. So the second Darlington race uh, is the last announced race of the year for the Hendrick Motorsports number 17 Xfinity Series car. Okay, Jay. I think we got a mute button. Yeah, no, I had to get off my mute button there. Um, this story really is the same as last year, which is kind of confusing to me, I guess. Uh, I know I heard on Sirius XM Radio where Chad Canal said that they are looking to the future, but they didn't really expand and they're sticking to road courses. And the reason I say that is I don't see where Hendrick Motorsports needs to improve on their road course uh, program. You mentioned Chase Elliott being a very dominant road course driver, and he's got to contend with Kyle Larson. We saw Kyle Larson win in his Xfinity Series start last year. Um, Alex Bowman, the only one that I'd say maybe needs to improve on his road course program a little bit, as well as William Byron, but I would have thought we'd seen a step or two more towards, I don't know if it's full-time, I know I threw out the, again, speculation that eventually Hendrick Motorsports might have a full-time Xfinity program to replace Junior Motorsports if and when they go to Cup and all that. So for it to be the exact same or one more race uh, than they did last year, I know they did, I think, add Darlington as as an actual non-road course. So uh, I'm not sure where they're going with this program or what their intent, their full intent behind it is. Um, As I said, I I don't see them needing the extra road course time, especially with the particular drivers, so it's interesting to think about what exactly their intent is, which we don't know yet, because it stayed the same as last year other than adding Darlington. So I'm still kind of intrigued by what the future lays, what, what the intent is of that program. Yeah, that was kind of my thought, too, when I looked at the, the schedule here with the road courses, three road courses, and then the short track of Darlington Raceway. Uh, Kyle Larson, of course, running two of those races, one at Sonoma Raceway and then again at Darlington Raceway. Um, So I don't know if this is something that uh, the drivers are saying that they want uh, to do uh, with these road course events in the one short track 
or if Hendrick is kind of coming in and saying, uh, Hendrick or Gordon, coming in and saying we want to develop this even further. Um, it, it is interesting uh, to see that because, especially in the Xfinity series, seat time is always a positive thing, but when you're talking about the Xfinity series car and the next-gen car, uh, uh a lot of the drivers have said there's not a lot that translates from Xfinity into the Cup Series. So uh, it, it, it's, you're right. It, it is a little bit of a head-scratcher um, when, you, when you really look at it in depth. Uh, on the surface, though, it does do exactly what we talked about with the Truck Series. When you have a, a Cup Series driver come into the Series, uh, it uh, does a lot to bring more fans into the stands. It does a lot for the other drivers that are racing in the Xfinity Series. Uh, but uh, as far as supporting or developing um, the Hendrick Motorsports, I, I don't see a lot of movement within Hendrick Motorsports uh, over the next several years. I think they've signed all of their drivers. Um but, yeah, it's just going to be interesting to see how this works out for them. But I, I, I like it, uh, but it, it does make you stretch your head a little bit as to what they're doing. Mike? Well, here we are again. You want to just keep on talking for another minute? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. We're at that time of the night uh, where I do make an announcement uh, to our first-time listeners in particular that we're going to go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. And uh, you'll hear us continuing to talk when that happens. Just know that we are going to be recording the rest of that conversation, and it will be part of our podcast overtime bonus material. So what I do is I go out on social media, Twitter and Facebook, and let you know that the podcast is available. At that point, you can fast forward to that two-hour mark in order to hear the rest of the conversation. So, again, no surprises for anybody. We wanted to let you know before it happens uh, and how you can hear the rest of the conversation. So with that, Mike, you can go ahead. Sure. I'm kind of with you all. The the weird thing about this is how – contained within Hendrick Motorsports this really is. I would have been less surprised to see a couple races being driven by their cup car drivers, whether it be Kyle Larson, Byron, whoever, and then a couple races being driven by somebody else, Jordan Taylor or anybody else that they bring in from somewhere else and use the cup driver-driven races to fund and develop that car to provide a good uh, race-winning type car to their guest drivers. That doesn't seem to be the case here. Same thing with sponsorship. From what I can tell, it looks like all four races are going to be sponsored by HendrickCars.com, which obviously is internal to Rick Hendrick's automotive group, um, you know, the Rick, the Rick Hendrick automotive empire, if you will. Uh, so it's not like they're trying to showcase a new sponsor at some point. It's all very internal to Hendrick Motorsports. So what they're gaining out of it, I don't know. Maybe it's just these guys want to go out and race for the weekend. I can't fault them for it. If uh, if Mr. Hendrick and Mr. Gordon want to put together a car and these guys want to go drive it, who's going to tell them no? The good thing for us as race fans is we know it's going to be an immediately competitive race car, uh, both uh, with, in terms of the driver as well as the equipment. That 17 car was very good last year. 
and I believe it's going to be just as good this year, being driven by some very, very capable drivers. So having another race, potential race-winning car during the Xfinity Series is going to be good for us as fans. Okay. <clears throat> Jay? Well, well, first thing there, I want to I want to comment on how funny it is. Of we have to encourage Sharon to keep talking, where she has to encourage Mike and I to not talk so much on occasion. But um, <laughs> looking at this HMS deal, I really do think that we're still just seeing the the beginnings or developments that we don't know the full story. And, and Mike kind of hit on something there. Of I think a lot of it does have to do with Jeff Gordon because he is the one that wanted drivers to step outside their comfort zone. Now, I know going Xfinity racing isn't like it's outside their comfort zone, but just being outside of the cup car itself. Um, so, But I do think that Jeff Gordon is kind of the, the one behind it because it started as he moved into a higher leadership role there at HMS. What we see down the road, I'm with Mike. I would have thought maybe you would have saw some other drivers um, in there uh, new sponsor, maybe, as you said, if that was what they were highlighting. But the fact that it is uh, funded by HendrickCars.com um, tells me there's something they're trying to do on their own to start with in order to build and show their program before they bring other sponsors or drivers in. Um, but we'll have to wait and see. Uh, it is I enjoy seeing them in the uh, Xfinity series. Again, it is a benefit to that series, as well as the fans and drivers at the tracks where they do attend. Okay, I just I just posted this, so my apologies. I, I saw this earlier, um, but it might tie into this in some way. An entity affiliated with Hendrick Motorsports uh, just bought uh, over 82 acres from Charlotte Motor Speedway for a 22.6 million. Uh, a portion of the land is expected to include the sites of two advanced manufacturing projects led by Hendrick. So I, I wonder, uh, as we're talking about this, if this has anything to do with it, because it is sponsored by HendrickCars.com. Uh, I wonder if there isn't something brewing here uh, and as part of the reason for why they're doing this. And I agree with you, Jay. I think that uh, uh, Jeff Gordon is a big part of why they are racing uh, other tracks like the short tracks and and uh, all of that, but also in the Xfinity series. Uh, I, somehow I think that, that there might be a tie-in here. Uh, we'll have to wait and see because uh, we're just kind of hearing about some of this. But uh, I'll give Jay you another chance to kind of comment on that. But, Mike, what are, you, what are your thoughts? I did see that post from uh, Adam Stern regarding the purchase of the property. Um, I know about as much about it as you do. I saw speculation as far as what that's for. Maybe, maybe there is some sort of a tie-in that leads in with the Xfinity Series program. I don't know. It would be entirely speculation on my part to even try and guess. And I know I like to speculate sometimes, but at this point, I don't even really have a good, you know, a good thing to speculate about. I, for all we know, Rick Hendricks putting in a, uh, a bouncy castle and a flea circus. Who knows? <laughs> Whatever. Uh, with regard to the to the Xfinity Series program, Hendrick Motorsports is already the most dominant team in the NASCAR Cup Series. It has been kind of close over the past couple of years with Joe Gibbs Racing and some of the other teams. 
but it feels like Hendrick is kind of stepping away at this point and becoming by far the most dominant team in the NASCAR Cup Series. Yes, Trackhouse is, is on the rise. Uh, there's been a couple teams that have been contending, but all roads seem to lead right back to Hendrick Motorsports. So for them to have a another program that's just going to make that team even stronger, Jeff Gordon pushing the drivers out to go get even more experience, build their racecraft even more, it should be – if I'm driving for any team not named Hendrick Motorsports, I should be concerned right now about what HMS is doing and the level of competition they're going to be bringing to the racetrack for probably the next decade. Okay, Jay? Yeah, I find that very interesting. Uh, one thing we looked at was that HMS was one that was particularly involved in the, and I don't think the name is right, Project 56 um, being involved at Le Mans. Look at what Jeff Gordon might see as far as Team Penske. And I know Chip Ganassi sold out and got out of NASCAR, but ones that are involved in all of motorsports in many different facets, that, that that might be the vision he sees for HMS, not just the NASCAR Cup level. Uh, my concern would be, it is, we've seen it, it is tough to do, be successful at the top of two different sports like that, um, even though they're both within the racing industry. But it kind of seems like that's what they're, kind of the direction they're going is being involved in motorsports as a whole. So that might be the next Roger Penske empire that we're tra- that you see from HMS. So, but again, that is pure speculation, which I think ranks above Mike's speculation. I just want to say that. <laughs> okay. Uh, Jay, you also get to bring up that next hot topic. Well, this one certainly could be a very hot topic. Let me pick it out here and scroll through it. It involves Kyle Petty and some comments made about Ryan Blaney and going back to, I believe he compared it to Casey Kane. Here we go. Uh, Listening to the new NASCAR and NBC podcast, Kyle Petty says, Ryan Blaney is the new Casey Kane. Potential unfulfilled. Everybody wants to talk about what he can do, but he never does anything. Okay, Mike. It's a spicy take, and... Of all the people who want to throw stones about not living up to hype and potential, Kyle Petty would probably know more than most people would. Uh, Kyle Petty also was a very well-hyped driver, being the son of Richard Petty, who never really panned out. Yes, he got a few wins in the Cup Series, but never really panned out to be the next big thing or, or anything like that. As far as Ryan Blaney is concerned, this touched off a huge discussion on – pretty much every form of social media out there. And there's some people who ran some numbers. I don't have them in front of me. I wish I did because I thought we were going to talk about this, and I thought about getting the numbers, and I didn't. Long story short, people crunched the numbers against uh, Chase Elliott, who was a rookie with Ryan Blaney, as well as Joey Logano, who, yes, he's been in the series a little bit longer, but uh, is in roughly the same equipment as Ryan Blaney. And long story short, Ryan Blaney did come out behind all the other drivers. No championships, uh, less than a quarter of the wins of of Chase Elliott or Joey Logano. Um, Fewer top tens, fewer top fives. So am I going to say Ryan Blaney's a bust? No, absolutely not. Uh, Ryan Blaney's a very good race car driver. 
he's a very unlucky race car driver. I'll definitely say that. He's probably got more races that have gotten away from him than the ones that he's actually won. And a lot of them are through no, circ- or no, no fault of his own, getting caught up in somebody else's accident, mechanical failure, stuff like that. Ryan Blaney has definitely had some lousy luck, but they don't put that on the bottom of somebody else's trophy that Ryan Blaney should have won this race instead. So at the end of the day, the, the, the numbers don't really lie that Ryan Blaney has not performed as well as Chase Elliott or Joey Logano or, or pretty much anyone else at his peer level. Um, can he turn it on and, and get better? Certainly. Team Tensky equipment is outstanding. Um, if, if Ryan Blaney's luck improves, he goes from winning zero points paying races last year. He probably had three or four that he could have, should have won last year. Uh, so he could quickly go back to being, being a multi-race winner uh, just with a change of fortune, and I'd like to see it. The sport needs big names. Uh, we have Chase Elliott. That's great. But the sport needs that big rock star celebrity driver. Uh, Ryan Blaney's definitely got the personality to do it, but he needs to have the performance to back it up as well. Um, first thing he needs to do, get the monkey off his back. He's got to get some better luck. Okay. Ryan Blaney – uh, is one of those drivers that has a great deal of star power. He he rubs elbows with uh, some big names and uh, is is a big name in NASCAR. However, I, I do think that um, Kyle Petty uh, may have come up with a, a pretty good analogy here. Casey Kane was one of those drivers you always expected more from him, and it just never seemed to work out. Um, I'm not going to say that it, uh, it's not going to work out for Ryan Blaney. You're right. He needs to have better luck. He, a lot of his finishes do not reflect uh, what he did during the race and how well he ran during the race. I will tell you, though, every time I picked him uh, in our fantasy group, he's not won. Uh, he's, he's maybe been in the top five or the top ten, but he's never really come up with that win when I think maybe he would. Uh, so, uh, again, I, I know that Kyle Petty has a knack, uh, for coming up with these kind of things that get people talking, and that's always a good thing because, uh, when people are talking, the sport's getting a lot of attention. Uh, but make no doubts about it. Ryan Blaney has star power, uh, when it comes to, uh, his dad being a racer, they own Sharon Speedway. Uh, and and he has rubbed elbows with some of the biggest stars, uh, east and west. So I, I think that um, the the potential for him uh, is still there. He's still racing, and I think there's still a possibility that we're going to see some great things uh, from Ryan Blaney. But, um, uh, based on where he is right now, uh, I think the analogy that he makes is is pretty accurate. Uh, and, Mike, you've backed that up with some stats and everything uh, based on what people have done as far as looking into it and digging a little bit deeper. But, Jay, I'm curious to know your thoughts. Yeah, you got to take Kyle Petty. I, I know everybody then wants to compare right away to Kyle Petty and his performance, and I think he would have to fall under that same category uh, of that. True. But truthfully, I think Dale Jr. did as well, Yoke, and – especially with we're talking about Kyle Petty, Ryan Blaney. Um, Casey Kane doesn't have the family tradition to follow in. 
but a lot of times you get compared to the parent, you know, uh, of Richard Petty, uh, Dale Earnhardt Sr., and Dale Blaney. So I think that's part of it. But when you do look at it as a hard facts, and Mike kind of alluded to it, I believe last year Ryan Blaney made it into the round of eight and was kind of still in contention to make it into the championship four without a victory. So he's there. It's just not winning the races, especially at the right time when it comes down to it. Think about Joey Logano. He won the non-points race at the Coliseum, had one victory throughout the season. When he picked up his second one, though, it was for the championship. So that's where that deliverance. And that's where I, I certainly fully understand the comparison to Casey Kane. When he came over, started with, uh, I believe it was Everham Motorsports at that time with Dodge, was winning races, uh, wasn't in the championship hunt because he also had some DNS. Then he went through the year, I believe, with Red Bull. But when he was signed to Hendrick Motorsports, same with Dale Jr., it was almost like he wrote him in as a champion. And it just never happened. It doesn't mean they weren't winning races, two or three races a year. In Ryan Blaney's case, not winning the race, but being in the top five, just never closing the deal and winning on a regular basis, thus being in that championship contender conversation. So uh, there is some very hard comparisons that can be made. I I know Kyle Petty kind of tends to rub people the wrong way when he makes these comments, but there's (laughs) truth to it. And like Mike said, the numbers will back it up. Okay, Mike. Sharon, you really hit on it with uh, your take on the rock star driver. And Jeff Gordon was probably the first really transcendent rock star driver. That, I mean, the, the guy hosted Saturday Night Live. He was on Sesame Street, you know, things like that. When if you went to a, a non-NASCAR fan, somebody who never watched NASCAR racing, and you went to one of those people 20 years ago and you asked them to name some, uh, some NASCAR drivers, they would most likely still be able to rattle off Jeff Gordon, Dale Earnhardt, whether they were referring to Dale Earnhardt Jr. or Sr., and maybe Tony Stewart. And that was great because you had these drivers that had a persona. They were celebrities beyond just their sport. The problem is if you go to a non-NASCAR fan now, today, in 2023, and you ask them to name some NASCAR drivers, they're probably still going to tell you Jeff Gordon, Dale Earnhardt, and Tony Stewart because we don't have those rock star personalities. Ryan Blaney should be one of them. Uh, Unfortunately, these days, somebody is just as likely to name drop Bill Elliott as they are Chase Elliott. We need to be pushing our drivers who have that persona, that star personality potential. They need to be the face of the sport. But I think Dale Jr. and Kevin Harvick both talked about this, where in order to be that face of the sport, you have to be one of the best in the sport. And Chase Elliott's getting there. He wins races. He's won a championship, but he's not that dominant force like Jeff Gordon was. Jeff Gordon could go on Sesame Street, and then the kids would go watch him win the race the next weekend because odds are, you know, when Jeff Gordon was winning 25% of the races every single year, you got a one in four chance of better of seeing Jeff Gordon win anytime he gets on the racetrack. It's not like that anymore. The competition's changed, obviously. The racing is different. But my point is, in order for us to build these rock star transcendent personalities to send them and host Sesame Street or, or whatever we want to put them to, to broadcast NASCAR to the non-NASCAR audience, they have to have the achievements to back it up. We need winners. We need champions. And we need them to be the same people that we can use to, to 
broadcast the sport. So that's where I really want to see Ryan Blaney do well because, like you said, Sharon, he has that potential. He's got the personality. He's got the appeal. But he needs the stats to back it up. Yep, I agree with you. And and I've seen him on different TV shows where he's kind of uh, stood in as, you know, a character on a TV show. Uh, it hasn't been a lot of shows like that, but I have seen him do that. And I think he's been on uh, SNL as well. But um, <clears throat> it, it is just interesting uh, I, I still think that there's still time for Ryan Blaney's star to rise and uh, as far as his stats go. And uh, that's the good news for Ryan Blaney. He still has time uh, for that to happen, and uh, I'll look forward to when that does happen because I think it's going to be big for the sport um, and uh, big for him as well. So uh, we'll see if it, it, if it uh, comes to pass. But uh, he certainly has had a rough uh, go of it up to this point, and uh, uh, hopefully uh, they can take advantage of that star power with some uh, good runs here and uh, uh, quite a few more wins than he has now in the books. Jay? Well, and I think there's another story, and I I don't remember if we had it in our hot topics. I know it didn't get talked about, but... Him going up to the booth, and he is one that regularly goes up into the booth mm-hmm. to cover uh, Xfinity Series races. And then when they promo the next race, and it happened to be from Las Vegas to Phoenix, that he wasn't on the promo, even though he was in the booth. He was his picture wasn't up there with, I believe it was Joey Logano, Kyle Larson, Bubba Wallace, and Denny Hamlin. And they've joked about it for two years um, that this has happened. So you know, there again, there must be something to it as to how those drivers get selected to be up there, and. I'm with Sharon, though, the, the potential, and Kyle said that, the potential is there. Uh, Chase Elliott, to think about of uh, how many years it was that he was getting second-place finishes but wasn't winning, and look at where he's at now as a NASCAR champion. So we could still see it. And it, that based on the number of second-place finishes or top five runs, they just want the wins. Like you said, it always seems to be the opposite of the closer. Kevin Harvick come out of nowhere and win the race, Blaney's up there running good until the end where he kind of fades back. Uh, obviously need to swap that element around, but certainly can happen. And we know he's within an organization as he's with Penske, who is the team owner of the previous champion there in Joey Logano. So um, not sure what's missing there, just that little bit to, to close the races out. Um, but definitely has the talent and, as you said, the personality. And I think that is what – goes a long way with that of all these other things. Um, he has that. So putting it all together, he's knocked down a few more race wins. Yep, that's all that he needs. Um, it makes it sound easy, doesn't it? Um, Mike, you get the next topic. Sure. Uh, kind of changing gears a little bit here, but I, I saw this. I thought it was really cool. Martinsville Speedway is removing a segment of their wall between, between turns three and four that was damaged during Ross Chastain's Hail Melon maneuver uh, last year during the fall Martinsville race. Uh, they're trying to get it over to the NASCAR Hall of Fame to display it. Uh, it sounds like transportation of it's going to be a issue. Obviously, a big section of concrete and steel like that is is probably uh, difficult to lift, difficult to move, and, and doing it without damaging is is probably going to be challenging as well. But I thought it was really cool that Martinsville Speedway is embracing this history of 
kind of an unprecedented move that we had never seen before, and based on the recent rule changes, we'll most likely never see again. Okay, Jay, your thoughts? Well, I was kind of hoping we wouldn't get to this one tonight, because i got to start with an apology to Mike. When this one popped up, all it said was Martinsville moving that part of the wall, and I thought it was just a remodeling project. I didn't uh, get into the article. Understanding why Mike even put that up as a hot topic, but it is that section of the wall that was used as part of the Hail Melon. Um, I think does need to go into the Hall of Fame, especially as Mike said there, that the move has been outlawed, if you will. Um, I know that they were not repainting it until the next race to kind of honor that and keep it and keep it alive. I think that if they can do it, it is a great thing that they're doing in putting it out of the Hall of Fame or preserving it. Because, uh, again, especially being that it can't be done again, it is going to go in, down in NASCAR lore. It already has as one of the top things that we'll see forever when it comes to NASCAR racing. So I think that's great that they're doing it. I'm sure Ross Chastain doesn't think it's a big deal. But it really is for this sport as part of its history. So I hope that they figure out a way to get it into the Hall of Fame. I know there was some talk of it moving from place to place. Obviously, a section of wall. Um, isn't going to be exactly that capable to do, but wherever they put it, that it does get honored and preserved. Yeah, I think it's cool that they are preserving that. I I really do. Uh, It was one of those moments, and we don't have many of these kind of moments, but it was one of those moments where I think everybody collectively held their breaths and were absolutely speechless as to what they were seeing uh, with... uh, that move and how he he just propelled himself uh, right up to the front by doing it. And you're right, we're never going to see it again. I think even Ross Chastain said uh, he doesn't think he would ever do it again. <laughs> uh, but uh, and it's it's now been outlawed by NASCAR. But the fact that they're trying to preserve that, I think, is is really a big deal. It, it was a unique moment in our sports history of racing. And it should be preserved. Um, I thought it was interesting, too, that they want to send it to the NASCAR Hall of Fame for a bit. If they can find a way to get it to fit inside of the facility, uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. They might not be able to get it inside there. They might have to display it on the outside and, like you said, uh, maybe move it around uh, so that fans from all over the place uh, can see it, uh, whether it's I can't imagine what the cost would be to move that around, uh, but uh, it would be cool if they're able to do it because uh, it would it's it's and then have the video of what he did uh, so that fans can see it and and uh, relive that moment because uh, it, and it might even bring in other fans. Who knows? Uh, I can imagine a school uh, a school age child. Uh, watching that video and just being amazed as well uh, with what happened there. Anybody uh, watching that video would be amazed at what they're seeing. So, and it would be a way of reliving that moment. Yes, it's outlawed. We know that nobody's ever going to do it again, and I'm sure that's a big part of um, the display of this uh, historic moment in sports, but uh, I'm glad that they're preserving it. It's 20 feet of the wall, which is is really a pretty good size part of the wall uh, between turns three and four. And uh, uh, 
if it ever comes to my neck of the woods, I know I'm going to go see it. That's for sure. Mike? Well, like you said, it, having it at the NASCAR Hall of Fame is a great opportunity to put it in a centralized, well-known location. There's a lot of really cool stuff. If you haven't been to the NASCAR Hall of Fame before, I strongly encourage you to go because you never know what you're going to see there. And if you have been to the NASCAR Hall of Fame before, go back because things change. Uh, I was there, actually, it was the, the week before this Martinsville race. Uh, and they had just up there on the Glory Road uh, display that they had there, they, uh, Hendrick Motorsports had lent the Hall of Fame Jimmy Johnson's race-winning car from the 2016 championship, and it was still covered in the star confetti and, and champagne splash and everything on there. That was the car that Jimmy Johnson won his seventh championship with, and there it was, right, right there on display in the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Um, I think it has since gone back to Hendrick Motorsports, so it's probably displayed on their museum on their campus in Concord. Uh, but the point is, having that display at the NASCAR Hall of Fame is so important because it gives a lot of different people an opportunity to experience our sport, see the history of it, experience the history of it. And like you said, Sharon, this is very much a, ver a relic of uh, an outstanding moment in our history. When was the last time NASCAR was on SportsCenter at all, let alone number one of the top ten plays of the weekend? And that's what Ross Chastain did. We talk about transcendent superstar kind of moments or individuals. Well, Ross Chastain was that guy, at least for that weekend. The only thing people talked about was Ross Chastain and his move, and rightfully so. So that's the kind of stuff that we need as a sport and preserving it and giving people the opportunity to see it, experience it. I know Trackhouse still has the car, maybe bring those together. If they do end up at the Hall of Fame, put the car right there with the wall. Something along those lines I think would be great for the sport, and I would like to see it myself. Okay, Jay. Well, first, I just want to even give an idea of what Sharon said of having that clip play. You know, a lot of times when you have a projector, you display it onto a white sheet or something, you know, if you're outdoors or something, shoot the video onto the wall itself and be that your backdrop for the video clip of it would be really cool, I think. Um, and as you said, just for anybody to be able to see it, um, I think would be truly amazing. As you said, it's going to be a part of NASCAR history forever as part of that lore. And the last thing I'll say on this of, I, I, I did the mature thing. I apologize to Mike for thinking he was a little off his rocker, but now we've got to go back to normal. And I just want Mike to tell us where the section of wall is that he crushed over in Birmingham. <laughs> so, funny story. I am trying to – those four pieces of the Armco barrier with the blue paint on them, they are sitting in a storage lot at Barber Motorsports Park, and I'm trying to get my hands on the segment of it. So, Maybe maybe I will end up getting some of it. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, you'll have to put it on display in your yard then, Mike. Yeah, right next to the crashed panels that I've got stuff behind my shop too that I haven't, <laughs> uh, haven't disposed of yet. So I can set up a museum to my own incompetence. <laughs> well, I think it would be interesting. Anyway, uh, another thought that occurred to me is uh, with this Martinsville uh, wall is if if nothing else, I'm glad it's they're going to get it to the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Uh, whether it's indoors or outdoors, I think it's going to be great that it's going to be there. But like Mike said, it's going to be temporary. It, it, that display changes all of the time. So 
the other thought that I had is <clears throat> having it at Martinsville Speedway when you go to that track, uh, be able to experience that moment uh, at Martinsville Speedway with Ross Chastain with that video clip of Ross Chastain. And I love Jay's idea of doing it against the wall, and you see this car coming around. Uh, but it's only the part that's between turns three and four. So then you've got the rest of the track where he actually propels himself uh, out in front, um, uh, or in front of a lot of other cars. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I uh, am super excited that they are preserving it. Uh, we've, we've kind of recounted that already. I'm just I, I'm looking forward to seeing where it ends up, though. Because uh, I, I do want to go see it. And if it's at the NASCAR Hall of Fame, fantastic. If it's at Martinsville, that's fantastic, too. Mike, you get the final word here. Well, I don't think there's going to be a final word on this for a little while. It's great to see that they're preserving it, but it's important to see what they're actually going to do with it. Um, the size and weight of it's going to make it difficult just because it's big, it's bulky, and it's heavy. And I would imagine that you don't think about walls being fragile, but when, when you're in that kind of condition where it's been cut out of its structure, uh, you've got to keep in mind that the more you move it, the more likelihood you have of damaging it. So keeping it safe and preserved is just as important as preserving it in the first place. Um, I do like Jay's idea of making some sort of a permanent display at Martinsville. When, when they finally get done, displaying it at the Hall of Fame, you know, a year, however long they want to do it, bring it back home. Put it back at Martinsville. That's where the story was made. That's where the story needs to stay. Uh, and then when fans go to Martinsville, it's part of the, the heritage and the, the, the memorabilia or whatever you want to call it of one of the most historic tracks in NASCAR even before this all, all went down. So having a good spot for it and, and preserving it, I think, is, uh, is important, and I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with it. Okay, we'll let that be the last word, and we'll do our uh, roundtable. Uh, Mike, we'll start with you. Sure, Mike underscore is O on Twitter, Mike double underscore O on Reddit. Looking forward to the racing this weekend at Phoenix Raceway. Uh, first race for the new aerodynamics package, so there's going to be a lot of questions that are going to get answered. Hopefully it improves the racing uh, from what we saw last year. That's what NASCAR is hoping to do, so that's what I'm going to be looking for this weekend is an improvement in the quality of the racing. Okay, Jay. Yeah, you can follow me on Facebook, uh, Michael Hoosman, Mopar MJ8 uh, on Twitter and Instagram. And I know, Mike, uh, we covered that earlier. We got through with the changes of the package. Uh, didn't get a chance to get your input on what those all will, but I'm with you. It's, a, it's the improvement on the track. That's the ultimate goal and why they've done it and what they're tweaking on. So we'll see how that plays out on the track there, starting with Phoenix Raceway. Okay, Fan for Racing site on Twitter, Fan for Racing blog and radio at uh, Facebook, and uh, fanforacing.com is where our website is located. And uh, I do have a power ranking that's coming out tomorrow. I was trying to get it up this afternoon. Uh, I got it a little bit later than usual. But uh, we do have the power ranking up, or we do have the power ranking coming, so uh, you can watch for that. Uh, that's from Owen Stewart, one of our Fan for Racing crew members. And then we have the recap from uh, Sam Bornhorst, uh, always coming out on Monday. So uh, definitely looking forward to the racing out at uh, Phoenix Raceway this weekend. We'll see if Kevin Harvick can uh, make it another victory. And uh, uh, a lot of people think maybe Kyle Busch will be the victor. 
who knows? But we're going to have fun watching and uh, definitely looking forward to it. Thank you to all of the It probably uh, won't be Alex in. Bowman. <laughs> uh, well, we'll see. Uh, uh, we do appreciate all of the people who tune in to hear what we have to say, whether it's on the live broadcast or our podcast. Uh, we appreciate you taking the time, and uh, we hope you enjoy listening as much as we enjoy doing it. So uh, with that, guys, I think we're ready to call it a night here at Banff Racing uh, Radio. Uh, Shannon, I know uh, you didn't didn't hit on Monday's coming show, but I uh, wanted to put out some prayers for Sal, normal host of Monday Thank night, you. and I don't know yet if he's going to be back um, having some medical issues. So our thoughts and prayers are with Sal. Most definitely. We'll, we'll definitely uh, keep an eye on that. Uh, hopefully he'll be back on Monday, but uh, there's a chance that he won't be, and I've already talked to Jay uh, about the possibility of him uh, stepping in for sale uh, on Monday night. So we'll keep you posted, and again, our big thoughts and prayers for Sal Sagala. Good night. With that, we'll call it a night. Good night, everybody. With Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.